Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This to week is a big deal. Reality Quest. Reality Quest. Reality Quest. Ba 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 ba. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know why is... we didn't make that our intro outro. <laughs> that would have been the actual music for yeah. every episode. I think people would have got tired of that. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> this is a this week is a big deal because we have been at this for basically a year now. Yeah. Over a year. Um and we decided that this is going to be our last episode for a little bit. Um, Sad. Yeah, we don't actually know exactly when we will start up again or if or what that will look like. Who knows? We want to leave it open. But it's like we decided we'd take an opportunity to reflect and uh, look back on the past year and everything that we've done and the past 15 episodes that we managed to put together, the people that we met, the friends we made. And everything we learned along the way, and uh, and digest for a little bit. Yeah, possibly create some things too. I think Jay and I are both people with a lot of curiosities, and it can be difficult to constantly hear about people making cool things, and then feel <laughs> like we're pouring a lot of energy into talking to those people rather than putting some of that into making our own things. And so, and we think it's just healthy to go through that cycle. Like we talked about yeah. in that episode with Miko, uh, consuming and uh, publishing. Yeah. Your, your stack of waffles builds up after a while. We spent the last year just <laughs> oh God, consuming. Again. <laughs> <laughs> we spent the last year just consuming all of these waffles of knowledge. Yeah. And now there's just all of these interesting thoughts and things that are buzzing around in our collective minds. And I think we both needed to take a break from this and see what we wanted to create individually, yeah. together. Who knows? Right. But there's a lot to do and yeah. a lot of ideas. Yeah. yeah. And this was, I mean, as we've mentioned in other episodes, this was a big deal for Jay and I because we felt pretty uncomfortable getting into this whole, these shenanigans with podcasting. And to be honest with you, we didn't want to be like podcasters. <laughs> that was never the intent. It's just like the worst. I don't know. I mean, I think <laughs> it's that... not. It's not the worst. No, I, I just, just mean... don't want to. I yeah. I just I wasn't saying that podcasters is the worst. <laughs> I'm saying that the conundrum that happens with being I imagine like a lot of podcasters feel the way we do and that there are people who are YouTubers who hate that. It's like being called a millennial in some ways. There's just certain <laughs> connotations with a label that can get a bit annoying and confusing at the same time. Um but we came into this and we were like, you know what? We have different reasons that we want to experiment with putting ourselves out there, with having these conversations. We love talking with people and meeting them. We do this all the time in real life. Why not get some mics in front of people? Right. Yeah. And so we've learned a shit ton in this process. It's hard to believe, like <laughs> Jay just said, a year, uh, but we didn't start releasing until the summer, you know? So, I mean, I kind of have this mix, uh, like we only have, I'm using air quotes, like we only have 15 or 16 episodes because right. we released, but they were long ones. And they're very um, long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're very long. <laughs> and for us not knowing what we're doing, we're proud. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, we just like Jay said, we just are gonna take a break that it could potentially extend into forever. <laughs> <laughs> into eternity. Maybe we won't be back. Um, but uh, but we love everyone for joining us on this journey so far, and um, it's been a ton of fun as well. Yeah, just we definitely hope we you've learned for sure. Um, and that's the other thing too, is like, even though we're taking a break, uh, we'd love to continue to hear feedback if people continue to listen to these episodes, uh, especially with what people are getting or not out of it. Uh, because that's something that I think I don't have a good sense of, like Jay and I are yeah. learning a lot and having good conversations, but we don't necessarily know how everyone's feeling who's listening to it. And I'd like to know that even if we never came back. Um, we, can, but, we can always feed that that back into future creations and things that we do. So Yeah, exactly. I think Kelly and I really enjoyed collaborating and putting our heads together, our collective brains together on this project. And I don't think it will be the last. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, Reality Quest will be back, even if in a different name. <laughs> yeah, in a different form, a different iteration of some, something Some come else. to mind, Brain Twins, uh, Ramble Pie. Some of these names might come Omnibus. back. Omnibus. <laughs> Omniverse. Who knows? <laughs> uh, anywho, okay, yeah. so let's get into the topic of today. So first of all, we, <laughs> well. <laughs> we want to talk about the last topic for a short yeah. second, um, because our last episode was with... Ella Darling, and that was about VR porn, intimacy, and sexuality. And uh, I loved talking with Ella. I've learned so much about <laughs> VR porn and intimacy. It's crazy over the past few weeks, and I think just also about porn in general. So um, I, can, I can always <laughs> say I learned something from doing all of this. <laughs> um, but actually, so Jay and I, before we met with Ella, did a thoughts on thoughts that we recorded. And mm. some of you might be like, did you though? Because I didn't see one. Yeah, where did it yeah, go? Is um, it floating in the digital void? Right. And it in <laughs> fact is floating in the digital void. Oh, because yes. in our we, drive. Re <laughs> we recorded in a social VR space. And here's the thing. That recording sounds like absolute shit. <laughs> like it's really echoey. It's cutting out all the time. We had a lot and of network stability issues while we were doing it. It just yeah. It was not, I'm not, not blaming anyone because honestly, it's still to be determined what the heck happened. Like, is that always what recordings from this social space sound like? Um, probably not. I don't know. And, I, and no, I I think there's there was a number of different things we were trying to figure out really for the first time how to do a solid uh, VR based recording where we yeah. were both in a social space and there are a lot of, I think, settings and just stuff behind the scenes that maybe we didn't do right. Either way, uh, I don't want to, I don't think either of us want to put the blame on any particular platform. It's more just we were learning. So we have yeah. this really, really long, but awesome conversation that we had it was in preparation such a great convo yeah it was so good uh, like just putting our heads together to think through that whole space before we sat down to talk with ella um, right the goal was basically to explore like what is even out there for mm. vr pornography or related topics and what were we both interested in or curious about Right. And the reason we did that was both for us to learn from each other, but also we wanted everyone listening to learn so that when we went into the conversation with Ella, since it is such a taboo topic that not a lot of people talk about, we all felt a bit more educated. Mm -hmm. uh, 
anyways, so recording sounds like shit. We decided we weren't going to release it. <laughs> um, and then now we decided, you know what? We don't want to rehab that conversation <laughs> and uh, do another thoughts on thoughts um, about uh, VR porn and related topics. And so we are just going to release it as a bonus episode. Extra we want to behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. We want to apologize in advance for the audio quality. Um, but we want to entice you with some topics that we do discuss there. Yeah. So uh, when we talked with Ella, I mean, we talked about a lot of topics, but that barely scratched the surface of of just that whole world. And so, I mean, there are things like uh, AR, so augmented reality porn that we mm. didn't really get into. Um, we uh, talked about gate box, which is like related to AR porn. It's like having a, um, but it's not porn at all. It's actually just having like a virtual girlfriend in your apartment. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Like an augmented um, reality. Yeah. It's like person. having a Tinkerbell <laughs> in your room. It's weird. Anyways, we talked about <laughs> <laughs> robot brothels, uh, generally like sex tech, um, just sexuality, sex like sexual yeah. identity. We got into a Oh, and gender oh, embodiment. That yeah, was another thing, yeah. like switch swapping the gender that you are and mm. uh, whether that's through just regular gaming or in porn or actually there's this thing that's called, um, oh gosh, Machine to Be Another. That's a group mm. that we talk about that we like highly suggest you go check out what they're doing. Um, there's just, there's a lot of, a lot of very cool stuff uh, out there and it will blow your mind learning about some of this stuff as uh, it did for me. And I don't know, I hope you guys listen, even though the, the sound quality is bad and yeah, we I, hope I you learn a lot from it. We wanted to release it just so that it is there. It's available for anyone that was really interested in all the topics that we dug into with Ella and wanted to get a little bit more in that front because there is so much to discuss there. Yeah. Um, it was it was an awesome conversation. I am really yeah. sad that the quality wasn't great, but uh, but we'll still Just put it out there for you. Just pretend that we're recording <laughs> from the Grand Canyon. We're <laughs> <laughs> like the middle of a, an arena. It's a live recording, yeah. and and sometimes one of us will keep on like an disappearing. Ice hockey rink. <laughs> yeah, like we'll get hooked off stage periodically, and you'll be like, "Oh shit! Wait, where'd they go? Uh, okay, they're uh, back. They're back. Yeah, they come back out. Yeah." So, but I mean, I think the, it's listenable. You'll probably adjust to it, right? Yeah, you know, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, so this... much more on VR porn there. Uh, but that's not what we're going to discuss today. What are we discussing today? Well, the thing is, today this is the last one we're going to do for a while. So I think we both had a lot of topics on our on our collective mind about uh, storytelling and social game spaces. Um, and a concept called verisimilitude, and uh, there, there's so many different things. I feel like we've been holding off on talking about waiting for this recording. So, Well, yeah, and I also think that you and I have not talked a lot about mm. ourselves necessarily. That's a really and, good point as well. Um, I had some opportunity in the in the episode with Miko because she brought up one of the games or experiences that I created. But mm -hmm. I want to talk to you, Jay, about stuff that you're interested in. I feel like you and I just always talk about uh, we end up veering into narrative and uh, yeah. theories about interaction and games. And I collectively interesting topics. <laughs> right. Yeah. And also, and, and I think it does overlap with that thoughts on thoughts we had a few sessions ago. What was the name of that thoughts on thoughts? The one where we were talking about what is the, the value? What is the value of XR? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the name. <laughs> yep. What is the, it was, what is the value? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it, it overlaps. And so I think we're just going to take yeah. this episode as a chance to meander around in the brains of Jay and Kelly with the stuff that we are passionate about and um, interlace all the stuff we've, we've learned uh, in the past year. So yeah, let's, let's just get right into it. You got to do the face slap. The face slap. Oh, shoot. digital digital face slap. Oh God, yeah. Okay. So, so- Jay and I, <laughs> from the beginning, decided that our like pregame. Yeah, there you go. Nice sound yeah. effect. <laughs> our like pregame tradition, I guess, mm-hmm. was to slap each other in the face. <laughs> <laughs> not, we're not talking like no, a, just like just like, like if you a, imagine, you know, wine back. Yeah, no, but like a vice that's just gently vice. (laughs) Not a vice. I don't know what I'm trying. (laughs) Okay, I'm not just. It's like if you. It's like if you put your hands up and grab somebody's cheeks, and you're just like. Yeah, except you're just like you're just like kind of lightly slapping them in the face. Yeah, but instead you're slapping them. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyways, uh, it works for us. It was. Nobody uh, asked like you anyway. Like we said, <laughs> like we said in the whole VR porn intimacy thing, like you know, to each his own. You know. Oh, uh, cheers! Oh yeah, cheers! What are you drinking 16, tonight? The last one. Um, it is a. Here, I'll make a cheersing soundish. Oh, actually, <laughs> oh, there that you didn't go. Really work? No, that was no. Well, that was, it was okay. It wasn't glass on glass. Um, this is this episode is sponsored by. Uh, Rymageddon whiskey. Actually. Oh, yeah, my my dad's my dad's favorite lately. It's like a chocolate rye bourbon. That's so good. Oh man, I'm yeah. panicking right now because I don't know. <laughs> I forget what the brand is that I'm drinking. Mm. It's like uh, is it called Viejo? That's um, a, is it a Manhattan? It's tequila. No, definitely oh, okay. not. Not definitely. Is it Casamigos? No, it's not. We keep stalling though because I know for a fact that I have it in a text because it was suggested by one of my friends. And oh, okay. as I'm looking it up, I will discover. Oh, I have it right here. Okay, wow, that was way it? easier than I imagined. <laughs> del Del Mague Vida. Del Mague Vira. Vida. Oh, Vida, like a D. Vida. Okay, like Del Mague Vida. Um, and okay. it is a mezcal. Oh, that's, yeah, that's mez, so it's like smoked, uh, technically not tequila. It's like a smoked, uh, it's basically okay, smoked tequila. so <laughs> get, get this. Wait, am I going to remember this right? So all tequila, okay, wait, 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 you're right. Uh, I always mess this up. All tequila what? So the, the mezcal versus uh, mezcal tequila. Is, it's agave, but it's smoked from what I my understanding right but i think there's something weird where it's like all tequila is technically mezcal and then i feel like it's the other way around mezcal is that's what it seems like it would be the other way around it's the other way i'm pretty sure it's the other way around like okay hold on what is the difference between tequila and mezcal all tequilas are mezcals but not all mezcals are tequila how does that how does that work 
How's okay, it go the other tequila way? Tequila is a type of mezcal, much like how scotch and bourbon are types of whiskey. According to Spirit, right? Oh, whatever. Uh, mezcal, <laughs> <laughs> mezcal is defined as any agave-based liquor. This includes tequila, which is made in specific regions of Mexico and must be made from only blue agave. Agave tequilana. Okay. So tequila must be made from blue agave? Right. Okay. But it's technically a type of mezcal. So we think of mezcal as like the scotch of tequila, but that's an incorrect statement. Okay. Interesting. So, so we've already so some, learned something new today, uh, folks. I'm just yeah. glad. I think we can end already. <laughs> um, so wait, not all. So the mezcal being smoked is not what actually makes it a mezcal. Good question. I guess I'll keep going. So um, see, it's not helping me understand. Yeah. Uh, it's cooked inside earthen pits that are lined with lava rocks. Whoa. And filled with wood and charcoal before being distilled in clay pots. While some large scale mezcal producers have adopted modern methods, artisanal mezcal makers continue to use this more traditional method, which is the source of the smokiness commonly associated with mezcal. Okay. So I guess you could have a non smoky mezcal, is, yeah. is the conclusion there like most tequila is not necessarily smoky i don't as- associate that flavor with a tequila typically right although so I am not, i'm sure you tequila could fucks me up you can every smoke time. anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure you day. can smoke a banana if you That's want but i mean. wouldn't recommend it <laughs> smoked banana <laughs> You can smoke banana peels, maybe. Smoked, smoked bananas, the name of our upcoming oh. band that we'll be doing instead of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was another thing. So talking about creative ideas yeah. <laughs> that Kelly and, I, Kelly and I have had over the past many, many months. Um, one of them is to make a an 80s synth pop band. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, I forgot about that. That makes up random hilarious lyrics. Because yeah. Kelly has a tendency to, to just start singing random songs all the time. And I have a tendency to beatbox. So I'm glad you brought together. this up because earlier today <laughs> I had one of my own songs stuck in my oh, head. Do you remember which it? Which is always a weird one. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's out it of the goes bag like, now. Okay, it goes like this. <laughs> I want people to keep in mind that I'm typically singing to my cats or to Mike or both. <laughs> like it applies to anyone in the household, basically. Um, okay. One, two, three. You're floofy and you're stupid, but I love you anyways. Ooh, anyways. <laughs> so you, it, it, oh, that's like, amazing. Um, <laughs> So the lyrics were, you're floofy awesome. and you're stupid, but I love you anyways, or yeah. uh, you're crazy anyways. and you're stupid. But, yeah. yeah. I like it. <laughs> so, and then Mike got in, launched into this idea that I should, I should like get one of those recorders that you basically just have one on me at all times, kind of like how a writer might have a notebook on them and just oh, anytime yeah. I'm singing, just like press on so that I could have mm-hmm. this. 
saved assortment of stupid ass songs that I sing, so I don't but forget then, them. But then you can come back to them later. I, yeah. I do this with music because I come up with melodies and music all the time, but I have, for some reason, I've got this block that makes it much more difficult for me to come up with lyrics to that music. I think it's just because I haven't, I haven't done it enough in recent yeah. time, and so I haven't broke that seal again. Yeah. But it's become really hard for me to just come up with lyrics. So the music right. always comes first. Yeah, but I think that's pretty normal. I was, I, I can't remember if I told you this already, but I was watching uh, Billie Eilish on Howard Stern, and mm-hmm. they had an interesting conversation about how she comes up with her lyrics. And basically, she just like says that she does music and then she, she comes up with the melody first. And then she fills in filler words, like things that half make sense, half don't, or are basically complete. Uh, you know, bullshit. And then she'll slowly fill in the lyrics. Okay. And then I think somebody told me that about the Beatles too. Like, uh, was it yesterday or, uh, yeah, yesterday was like, you'll hear me like mumbling random words while I'm singing some song. Yeah. I'm, Um, I'm upset. I can't remember what the lyrics were to yesterday originally, but cause it'll kind of ruin the song for you. But, um, I'm looking it up right now. Original song lyrics to yesterday. Oh, scrambled eggs. <laughs> scrambled eggs? What? Scrambled eggs. <laughs> I want to eat a scrambled eggs. Yeah. Are you making that up right now? No, I'm saying that it, it's, a, it's a fact of sorts. <laughs> it's a fact? <laughs> I mean, as much as any fact about him, like, unless I hear it from Paul McCartney's face, I don't know if I'm going to believe it, but, uh, but, um, I, well, I was singing about beans the other day, like making beans and cause I was making a chili. And so I, I was inspired by somebody who had just been singing about random things. So I just started singing about making chili. Yeah. That's and I was, what? I, I played a couple chords on the guitar and I just started making up words. Yeah. I think See, it, it, I, think I think for me I... it's just enabling my own like myself to be creative without judging what I'm yes. creating in real time. Isn't that the worst? I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been taking a short story writing class and oh. and a lot of the, the argument for writing short stories according to this teacher is basically like if you just assign yourself a novel or like a full screenplay to start you're yeah. just never, it's like a slog. You're never going to get through it. Like just, just publish stuff, just write short stories. It could be like one paragraph and just get it out yeah. there and call it complete. And part of that too is like letting go of that judgment and just like getting used to putting stuff out there, which is actually quite related to us trying to do this podcast. Yeah. We're I like, let's say, just. This whole thing has been a journey in, in getting right. used to putting ourselves out. Right. It went from like something. absolutely panicking and freaking out that we were going to put a <laughs> microphone in front of ourselves to just being like, you know, relatively fine. It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress, but we're <laughs> eons beyond where we were before. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, legit, that, legit. A, we were talking about this yeah. the other day off mic, yeah. but it is literally a transformation, a yeah. complete, uh, <laughs> I was going to say 360 degrees. You'd be back where you right. started. <laughs> <laughs> I always make that mistake. 720, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no. <laughs> None of this works. <laughs> <laughs> Complete 90 degrees. You just can't turn to the left. <laughs> it's a 45 degree turn. You know? 
but we are we are you know rotating as an analogy does not work we are miles and miles beyond where we had started a year ago and it's awesome to look back at at all of the different conversations that we had and the things that we learned from those as we went forward and it was also yeah. painful to do all of those different episodes. Super painful. Well, I feel like that's actually, later. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I feel like, I mean, related to both this and then the short story thing I was talking about, I'm a big fan of making myself uncomfortable. And like, uh, if I, the second I say, oh, I can't do something, I then need to do it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I know shit. that. I guess I, I can right. go now. <laughs> I know that not everyone has that mentality. Uh, But nevertheless, I feel like ultimately it's all like no matter what, if you want to even just experiment with something, you have to just be okay with like feeling like a total failure, like messing up and making mistakes and being embarrassed. Like the amount of times I've had to listen to myself editing this thing and hating my voice, how I sound, all the filler words I use. And I mean, it's, it's grueling. It's grueling and it's a self, <laughs> self-loathing self process. Ugh. But then a year later, you realize that, well, you're definitely, you've learned something and you're better yeah. off than where you started. <laughs> While you were busy doing all that self-loathing, you were actually right. learning a ton. <laughs> right. I mean, I didn't even know how to plug in all this audio equipment at the start, so... <laughs> Anyways, enough of yeah. that. More importantly, uh, I think it's verified that Paul McCartney's scrambled eggs was the beginning because I'm looking at a, a... Wait, that's what... That that he called it scrambled eggs. I'm just saying. I think okay. it looks like it looks like it's it's a fact. Okay. Um, it was the original title and the lyrics were scrambled eggs. Oh, you've got such lovely legs. <laughs> scrambled <laughs> eggs. <laughs> oh, my baby. How I love your legs. <laughs> um. And then it says, as for the tune, Paul was initially unsure whether he had actually thought it up himself or if he had unintentionally stolen it from another composer. He played the tune to the other Beatles and recalled it was like handing in something you'd found at the police station waiting to see if anyone claimed it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if nobody Uh, wants it, I guess it's ours. (laughs) Right. I will say that that is kind of confusing about the sometimes when I'm... um, making up my own songs to the cats, I always wonder, like, what if that came from my brain versus did I copy it from somewhere? Yeah. I I mean, it's such genius that I just can't believe. (laughs) (laughs) It came out of my own mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I created it. It was amazing. What else would happen? Um, I feel like, and I've been observing this over the years as different, different, melodies and and snippets of songs and things come to mind it is definitely it always seems to be related to some sort of musical influence that i had in the past um none of it is ever fully original but it's i think at some point you just end up letting go of that you're like okay there are only so many musical rhythms and uh melodies and 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 sort of progressions over the course of a song that you can come up with. And so as you're absorbing all those different things, it's just the filter of your own brain that makes it interesting again. Right. Yeah. And and different. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with stories. Like there's all those arguments about how many 
actual stories exist. Right. You There's know, like, from something like six to sixty six or something, and then it's just like variations on all the stories mm-hmm. that exist already or have yeah. already been told, or these sorts of uh, these, like archetypes or, or archetypical stories that have always been retold in variations yeah. over time. Yeah, that brings my mind back to something that we keep on talking about um, in the whole domain of like interactive storytelling, um, or at least <sighs> where it's kind of where we started to leave off at the end of what is the value of XR, that Thoughts yeah. on Thoughts episode. Basically, we were trying to figure out um, what differentiates a story, like a passive story where you are not participating in it, you are just an observer. And you, mm-hmm. maybe you are constructing the imagined environment and context around it, um, but you are not necessarily affecting the characters. You're not affecting the setting. You're not changing things in the story. And then figuring out what is different in that, what changes when you give the observer, the the player, actual agency in it, and and where that starts to overlap with, with games as we know them today. Yeah. In the past, over the past few months, we came across this concept of, uh, of, Bartels or Bartles taxonomy, mm-hmm. um, which I've been finding really interesting lately, and it's this whole idea that you can, if you if you approach the the medium of games, you approach the uh, the idea of of telling a story where a person now has agency. You've created an environment where they can, where they can uh, they can affect the story. They can observe a bunch of little stories within that, and they have an impact on the world. You then you're dealing with a different entity within your your art your creation. Um, and so it, it becomes something else. It, it becomes something different from just a static story that you're observing. Um, but the whole idea behind Bartle's taxonomy or this sort of unified model of different players within a setting is that people tend to fall into one of four different groups in any particular space or game space or in a interactive story space. Well, it was, was it particularly for interactive? I would imagine that's what it, it was all about, interactive games, right? Yeah, I, I don't see, so it like has to be. you wouldn't be reading a book and be like, am I a killer? Am I <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because you don't get to play a part in that story. I right? mean, besides, you could identify what your character is doing like you could identify what your character is like but uh but you wouldn't say so you might say okay my character is a bit more like this is how they interact with the world and therefore they're more like an achiever or a killer or something like that but uh if i mean if you were i think i think ultimately it just it is just talking about interactive i I have a lot of follow-up thoughts about this, but I want to, I want to let you explain what it is too, before I get into too much detail so people can track with it. Totally. Um, so the interactive nature I think is key because if it's passive, you don't, you as an observer, like you as a person in your own head don't have a part in it. And so your behaviors aren't expressed inside of that story. Um, or inside of that space. I mean, maybe we have to separate that. Like when you, it's almost like when you bring interactivity into it, it's no longer a single story. You are now creating or changing the narrative in some way. Right. Um, but from the perspective of different people interacting with things differently, there were four different categories that arose. Um, 
in Bartle's sort of observations over time. And this was a lot of this he kind of put together over the course of the 90s, observing people playing these these online games. Um, he observed people doing either social activities, so they called them socializers, uh, people that basically played because they enjoyed the social element. They enjoyed interacting with other people. They enjoyed the community element. Um, and then there are people that played because they enjoyed the exploration and they wanted to go and find the secret things or sort of push the boundaries of the space of the world, the setting that they're in and see what could be done um, or like where the edges are, explore the bounds um, and kind of chase their own sort of narrative within that. And then there were achievers, people that tended to lean towards uh, the any sort of structure or gamification in that space where if there was like an incentive structure, they wanted to go and they wanted to climb the ladder and level up or or become uh, they were competitive and you know maybe they wanted to uh, do better against other players in some capacity and so they they tended to follow those sorts of like achievement models that many games and interactive experiences have followed these days. Um, where there's some sort of leveling or progression system. Those people like the idea of progressing through a, a hierarchy of some sort. And then there were people that Bartle called killers, but I intend, I particularly don't like this particular terminology because I feel like it, it distracts from what it actually implies. Um, the killer category is not so much about any sort of violent behavior that is innate to these players. It's more that they like affecting other players in the world they like affecting other entities in that space so they they oftentimes you'll see people that are trolls uh that go and they they like making somebody else in that space just furious by doing something that has an impact on them um or they like they might end up being the person that is leading a whole guild of people in some sort of online world um and they have the ability to like guide and direct these groups of players um, but they are directly impacting other people in the environment. And there's a wide variety of ways that that is expressed. It's not, it's misleading to call it killer, but that's what it's called, at least in this taxonomy. Yeah. Well, I, when you first told me about all of these, uh, when you were talking about killers, I mean, a lot of people just immediately come to thinking about shooter games right. and shooters. And those people do fall into that category. But like you said, not other people do. Okay. Well, we, we, we it made me that. think about it. Made me think about this uh, VR game I played through the Void, which was one of those location-based experiences, mm -hmm. and it was one where you throw, you like shoot pancakes at bunnies, like you're <laughs> <laughs> like the bunnies are evil, and you're shooting pancakes at them right. to try and like kind of get them out of the way, but you're not actually injuring. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not killing the bunnies and, but you're shooting something and you're getting them out of the way. And so there are quote unquote shooter games or the, the feeling that one gets out of when you shoot and, uh, you know, something happens because of that, yeah. uh, that isn't necessarily killing either. Yeah, and I, 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 that's why I, I brought that up specifically is I feel like the, the shooter, um, stigma it's I'm, I'm not even not even trying to express any opinions on shooter focused games but i think that is a totally separate thing from this it's not that there's anything inherent to shooter type games that is synonymous with this this group of people 
Um, yeah. You can have, for instance, you can have a game like uh, like Call of Duty, for instance, which is a very well-known shooter game where you're running around in these arenas and you're competing against other players to see who can take one another out. They're in the context of the game, you are killing other players. You're not actually killing your friends or the competitors. You're just beating them. So there's a competitive aspect, which is very much achievement focused. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that play it for that reason, because they want to be better than other people. They want to rise in the ranks. They want to see themselves on the leaderboard. Um, They want to feel accomplished by winning against some sort of goals or adversaries. And then there are also lots of people in those games that are trolls. They enjoy pissing off some other player in that space those would fall more into that killer category let's like which they should almost be called like like shakers or something they're people that agitate or or disrupt the space somehow which is not always a bad thing yeah that that those four sort of categories of people it's i my my feeling on this um is that this is not just in games it's something that is expressed throughout life and it's just when you put us into a simulated world we start sort of showing more clearly these different subsets of behaviors um, or like personalities. And when you put us into a story or a, a narrative that you can interact with, um, you start seeing those different kinds of people uh, kind of distinguishing themselves through the way that they try to interact with that, that space or that world. So which one are you? You're an explorer, right? That's what I think. Um, I mean, I, these, like most things, these categories are just artificial. Yeah. They're arbitrary. Um, but I think they are useful to some extent. I I feel like personally I am towards the explorer side because I don't tend to care as much about incentive structures. If you put me into a game that has a very strict sort of hierarchy um, and is very motivated by rising through some sort of growth path or leveling system... I don't have, like, I really could not care less about that. Um, Mm. My immediate desire is more to explore the space, even in a linear story. Um, So Kelly and I both started playing or recently uh, committed to try to play a number of different VR experiences that we hadn't tried before. Um, One that I pulled up recently, which has been getting a lot of press lately, is Half-Life Alex, which... Um, a lot of people are touting as just one of the best games that's come out in recent history as far as how well they executed on the interaction and just the overall story and experience. And one of the things about it uh, that I found over the past couple days of trying this out is that just observing my own behavior in this space, it's a linear story. There's like you, you are on rails as far as a story goes. You're, you're in a space and you can't really explore the whole world that you're able to see. You kind of have to follow a certain path through the environment and keep, you know, going along with the, with the narrative that they have placed before you. You're limited in that way. But I still spend a lot of time just exploring the spaces that I am confined to, even if that's a room, I spent so much time just looking closely at the wool blankets folded up on the ground because they were so real looking. <laughs> or it was I... super real looking. <laughs> it's crazy. Did you did you get to play it as well? I did, yeah. Oh my gosh. Could, yeah. Tell me. Tell me what you've experienced thus far because I am just brimming with thoughts on this. Well... I think that for people who haven't tried it, I mean, I I feel like you explained it pretty pretty well. Uh, but I feel like the the one thing to say about it is about its realism. It's just like I want 
people to drop into that world just for a second and be like, oh. this is the detail that VR can bring because it's insane. When I look around, I just feel like I am literally in that place. Like there is no need <laughs> for me to, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the term. Um, uh, oh God, what is it called when you're like delaying, um, or suspending disbelief, sorry. Yeah. So there, there's no need for me to suspend disbelief because it's so believable, everything that's around you me. You don't have to try to believe in what you're right. saying. You're just like, oh, wow, where am I now? <laughs> right. <laughs> this, 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 this place is insane. Yeah. And it did seem really easy to follow for someone like me who can get intimidated by, I mean, the Half-Life series is talked about so much amongst yeah. gamers that it could easily be one of those things like Halo where it's like, okay, good fucking luck and like drop you in and you're just like going to die immediately yeah. and you don't know what you're doing. And you and had no you needed, context Like you should history. have passed a test to be able to buy that game. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I felt like I could understand it was guiding me through really well and, and mm. making me feel welcome in that very unwelcome post-apocalyptic world. Uh, and <laughs> Things felt very intuitive <laughs> in this apocalyptic future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and it, I mean, it's a long game. Long. I haven't, I just started it, you know. Same, so, uh, but I do think it, it not only was it so it very believable and, and realistic around me. Uh, but it also felt like the game design in general, they did a really good job of, even though you are on rails, they made it look very realistic as, as like when you're blocked from going someplace, mm -hmm. it never just felt like a, so a, a comparison will be, I love the game. Life is strange, but oh, what they yeah. do, what they do to keep you from going off track it was one of my favorite things is, <laughs> is you'll start walking in a direction to explore. Like you would hate this in a way. Have you, you've, have you played it, Jay? I haven't tried Life is Strange yet. I think you would time. like it. I and then you would. would also be frustrated because it, it, it's tantalizing this mm. like world that you're in. But then you'll start walking in a direction and then she'll be like, mm, I don't want to go that way. And oh. then she'll just oh, like the, say that out loud. <laughs> oh, so the character talks to you as a the player. She's like talking to herself. She sounds, uh, oh. she sounds like she's talking out loud to herself. And so she's you like, are, mm. you're like her subconscious or like, you're like her. You are her subconscious. Yeah. Cause yeah. she's constantly talking, uh, yeah, yeah. Like whether she's saying it actually out loud or not, actually is kind of unimportant because you are her and you're in her head, and so you're hearing every single thought or word that comes out of her yeah, mouth. So you're like third person omniscient, kind of. Right, in, and and yeah. she, because uh, because you could, for instance, interact with an object, and it'll give you the option or or uh, to look at the object, and you'll look, you'll select look and it will uh you'll hear what she's thinking about looking at that object oh, okay you get like Anyways, some, this internal thought dialogue yeah hmm. so the way they keep you from from going and exploring in certain directions is just she goes well i don't want to go that way <laughs> <It just laughs> cracks me up every time uh and so there is none of that happening in in alex uh because it just will prevent you from going in a certain direction but it'll look yeah. like very natural within the environment. And so it guides you through something uh, in such a way that 
it feels it adds to that realism yeah. because there you know when a way is blocked it seems like oh yeah well I, you know that wall or that object or whatever that fallen sign or something like that that all fits within the environment yeah there's there's really only one path on which to go throughout the entire thing thus far again haven't finished the whole thing yet but um but it feels it, it doesn't distract me or tantalize me in places where it would look like you'd be able to do something else. And I also, while I was playing this, I was I was fully in it. I was trying to avoid getting spotted. Um, I was trying to be subtle and stay hidden because you don't yeah. know what's going to happen if you do get seen at different times as you're as you're kind of sneaking through this area and trying not to get caught. Yeah. Um, and it just it feels really convincing <laughs> totally well that uh i don't want to alienate the audience by asking too many specifics but i just yeah. have one okay. and it is those um blinking on the name the the things in the ceiling that like have those oh, long geez. tentacles yeah. that go down there there are, are these they like called? they're called they have like a lamprey um, mouth yeah like a, uh <laughs> i feel like it begins with a b uh, I'm like basilisk. No, uh, <laughs> as good as any. <laughs> well, um, so there are these like crazy things, um, yeah, uh, that are like in the ceiling, just like with these weird long tentacles going to the ground, and they're gonna like anytime their tentacles. If you so if like a box hits the tentacle, it'll suction it up, and like yeah. you know, they look really scary. So have you purposefully tried to get kind of eaten by one? No, I didn't want to. <laughs> Well, that, so that's like to your point about, I was, I was, had mixed feelings about, I want so badly to know yeah, what happens, what, what happens. Mm -hmm. and then I also am scared yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and I also don't want to like mess up my, my heart strength or something like yeah. that. Like I didn't know what the consequence would be, you but don't. I wasn't sure if you were the type of player who would, speaking of exploring, kind of play around with that. Yeah. Uh, which is, I feel like, would be either related to exploring or its own category, which is people who, like, play to just, uh, like, fuck around with stuff, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, I want to see... My, one of my friends, when I was playing Life is Strange, she was like, oh, I'll play it with you. Are you playing as yourself or as a psycho? And I was like, what, what? do you mean? And she was just like, are you playing, like, you're you're choosing stuff. Like, you have agency, you mm. have decisions and choices that you need to make. Yeah. And that changes, seemingly, the outcome. It'll literally even indicate to you that you've changed something that you can't like that. This is an important decision that you've made and that's going to change your path. It'll like have oh. a little indicator. And I am acting as if I either is it's some mix of me as Kelly mm -hmm. and some mix of what I think that character would do, but I'm just uh, projecting onto that character. Cause yeah. like, what do I really know? You don't know. You're and, not actually her. Yeah. And, and actually um, there's a lot of stuff I'll do. I'm like, well, actually she's quite quiet and I'll decide to like talk to people in the game a lot. So if I was really acting like her, I might avoid talking to people, <laughs> but, uh, but what she meant by like, are you playing as a psycho? It's like basically do what you wouldn't normally do right. or do like what is out of character for the character. Uh, yeah. You know, like if the option is to just like, uh, blow something up and they're like, this would be a really bad idea. Like, you definitely don't want to do this. It's like, you know, just like 100%. <laughs> so I feel like there are people like that who do that intentionally and just be like, I wonder what will happen. I'm just curious yeah. about how this will affect things. That's interesting that you bring that up because I was talking with Forrest about this in particular uh, the other day. 
And I, I sent you a snip or a, like a snippet of the conversation mm-hmm. um, in our texts. And I've observed him in many different video game environments over the years and the, the differences in how he interacts with those worlds compared to the way that I do. Um, we both, and again, this if you were to imagine these categories as like a, you, you imagine a plus sign and then a at the end of each of those stems of the plus, one of those categories fits. So there's like socializer at one end and then um, killer at the other or disruptor, whatever you want to call that. And then you have uh, achiever and explorer at opposite ends as well. So you imagine that as two spectrums essentially that are overlapped and you end up with that whole idea of a semiotic square. But basically you can end up with a combination or some weird sort of continuum in between those different categories. And so I'm definitely not a pure explorer. Uh, I'm really not very motivated by achievement structures, but I definitely I definitely do tend to lean a b- little bit more towards the social side because in those spaces, I tend to look for things to interact with, for people to interact with, but not not so much that I that, that that is my purpose in itself. Oftentimes, I'm just exploring, seeing who's over there, or I want to go over there and find something new. But at the same time, you bring all this up in this environment where there are these are like fixed narrative games in some capacity. Like you're, it's not a sandbox. You're not able to just do anything you want, but to a certain extent, you have agency. Um, so, like within that context, Forrest is usually someone that as he will quickly lose interest in a narrative uh, or the effort of the developers to put together a story in the middle of an open world if that story is not very good. If it's not very engaging, he'll quickly lose interest in that and he'll just forsake that to go and do other things and wander around um, and entertain himself because it's actually broken his uh, belief in the world. Like he, is, he has suspended his belief in the world. Um, because he it it kind of like brings you it it un it breaks your immersion or the yeah, opposite it's like of you're aware immersed. of a narrator yeah it it feels contrived all of a sudden and you're like Ugh, this is this is stupid i'm gonna go do something else and so you start prodding around on the edges um or or at other things you can do or you try to go find something else to do in that space that's more interesting in a capacity but there are definitely times when in a when a narrative is engaging enough in that space even though you're in a video game um, and you have control to change things and you could literally just, in Alex, for instance, you could literally just spend time throwing buckets at those ceiling sucker things um, and entertain yourself doing that. And that's not what the story is about. uh, But it's definitely, at least from my observation thus far, is definitely not as interesting as figuring out where the story is taking me. I want to keep on going through and seeing what happens next and what the next thing is going to be. And right. Like, yeah. What are we exploring here? So, so uh, yeah, it's yeah. like in some capacity, it's not a sandbox, but it's, it's giving you gentle guide or guidance through a pathway and just enough exploration through that, that it doesn't break your immersion, but you are engaged by the direction that you're going. Yeah. Well, I think, so I have a lot of arguments or just things I want to discuss about this, this dude's, quadrant uh i don't mean to say this dude i know he put a lot of work into it what is his name bartel i'm sorry i'm sorry bartel so uh 
But I will say that, what was the quote? What did you say about, um, in our, in that, uh, I think it was in that same thoughts on thoughts about what is the value? It was like models are only, uh, Oh, a model is only as useful or sorry. It, that was actually, that was that British mathematician's quote. And, um, it was all models are false. Some are useful. Right. Okay. Something along so, those lines. and I think that that's the thing is like, I'm going to not be a dick about a, about this person's model. Um, because, because I think that like the whole point is we're all trying to create an understanding or some form of structure like a common communication. in chaos. Right. Yeah. And so I think he's doing a great job. I have some things I want to discuss that are, that are, uh, for lack of a better term, maybe nitpicky or just, I'm like, like trying to find my own identity in there and yeah. struggling. But, uh, but I do fit. think that. Yeah, like he has what he's what is helpful about this is if you're designing a game, you can say, well, who are we building this for? Yeah. Is it for one type? Or if we're building it for everyone, what interactions uh, serve which person? So, for instance, in Alex, if you choose to go in the direction that is not, I mean, you, you don't always know what the correct direction is because part of it is a puzzle to figure mm. out. Like it's, it's guiding you through the puzzle. It's like the, unlock the uh, next doorway somehow. Right. Like you, you start to really quickly identify what areas look like, oh, I can pull open this door, but that one looks locked. And like they do a really good design where it's really intuitive with what you think is something like I will have a great sense of, okay, this is the door I think I need to go through. And it looks like whatever the coloring is and like something looks interactable here <laughs> and, or, or like this generally seems like the way to go. There are other doors on the other end and those, what if it's like the coloring or the fact that there's like a lock on there's it, no it's handle, like out. yeah, there's no handle or something like it's just not encouraging me to go in that direction, is, even though it exists. It's better than you can say of many real world doors. My, my biggest like general <laughs> physical world <laughs> UX critique is when they have yeah. handles on push only doors. Don't do that. Like <laughs> that is the stupidest thing ever. Don't put a handle yeah, on a really door I can't pull. <laughs> Right. So true. Because I'm going to try to pull it. Wow. I feel like we should dig into that. Uh, no. So, um, but, but they do specifically reward you for going in the wrong direction. And you'll notice like mm. you'll find stuff, you'll be able to find uh, certain things that you can put in your backpack mm -hmm. that are not in the right direction. And that's just like... Um, I guess rewarding you for exploring the world. Yeah. Because if they if they didn't do that, then you'd just be like, okay, well, maybe it's just annoying, and you're just like, I, I don't know. It's you could be floundering around looking for the right direction, and you yeah. eventually find it. But at least while you're exploring, you're like, oh, cool. So then you're getting little nuggets world, for actually being an explorer in that space, right? Even exactly. You know. Yeah. So they knew they decided like whether they had this quadrant in mind. They decided. Uh, we're going to have some explorers and we want to make sure that they aren't left out. So I think it's really cool that he has this because I think you should think through those structures of like, okay, what is, what is somebody, are we making this for somebody who's an achiever? And if so, like how are we rewarding them or, or yada, yada. Mm. And actually you could say that it so far nails everyone, but the socializer, because it's not a, a multiplayer game. No, right? not at all. And there's no, well, I guess, I don't know much about the social. There's the NPC uh, factor, yeah. but it's not very strong, right? It's it's not very strong, um, but I do feel like there is some element of socialization or interaction that happens in games because I've definitely, if, if you've ever played, I'm always going to use Minecraft. Okay, I'll not Minecraft. I'll use like Journey. 
for instance. You know that game, <laughs> <Yeah>. Journey? <laughs> I do. I do. And I have that, it, but I haven't played it. It's okay. a big one on my list. Well, there, there are games like Journey and like Minecraft where um, Journey specifically is not a multiplayer game. Minecraft, you can though, but if you play it by yourself, it's very lonely. Oh, uh, yes. World, I can attest to that. Yeah. Like the world feels desolate. Um, and you feel alone and by yourself. And if you're someone that actually is kind of on that socializer part of the spectrum, you start to feel completely isolated and you're not having fun. Maybe you get bored because there's nothing to interact with. Like there are yeah. things in the world that you can affect, but there's no there's no entities to interact with that feel yeah. dynamic. All four of those different categories are interesting to try to pick apart. They are. Uh, and that's not necessarily what I want to okay. do. But what I do want to say is that I couldn't immediately identify with one. Now, I think you think that I'm an achiever. <laughs> I definitely feel like you have tendencies in that direction. Yes. Now, I, I, it depends on if you... So when you talk about like, oh, you do want to see where the game leads. Yeah. Is that, an, where does that fall on this list? Because I feel like the closest thing is to an achiever, but the way that they describe achiever is like somebody who wants to be on the leaderboard and somebody who wants to get yeah. all the points. And I'm I, like, no, I just want to, I want to complete the puzzle. I want to yeah. uh, get to that next point because I want to see how the story ends or I feel good about, hey, I figured out the puzzle. Yay, me. Like, I have no yeah. need to score that. I don't need it to publish it somewhere and let people know how good <laughs> I am. <laughs> like, I just want to know that I that they challenged me with a puzzle and I'm like, yes, I got it. Yeah, you know? I, I think that does fall into a sort of in achiever space right i think they're using Just maybe not the way they i yeah. think that some of uh, some people who who shorten the descriptions of this mm -hmm. area like not necessarily the original author but people who summarize it uh the achiever does sound like kind of an annoying asshole and i mean maybe i am but uh <laughs> but like i though even as i'm saying this it's funny because <laughs> Oh, I, <laughs> I've been doing Duolingo, um, and learning French and I had my friend Charlie join me in doing it uh -huh. and he's ahead of me in points, but he started out ahead of me in points. So I'm like, well, I fucking started off behind. Like, how am I ever going to catch <laughs> you <gotta> up? Rationalize. <laughs> and then, and then I see each day, like, am I getting closer to passing him or not? And then I actually, <laughs> and then there's a separate thing. There's a separate thing in Duolingo, which are leagues. And if you get in the top 20 of a league, you move on, you advance to the next league. And I'm like all about it. I'm mm -hmm. like, I have to advance to the next league. I have to beat Charlie <laughs> in these points. I can't wait until one day he's going to look at his phone and I'm going to have to spend my entire fucking Saturday <laughs> just, just working to beat him in points. And, um, um, so I guess, yeah, I'm an achiever. <laughs> I feel like you had... This has been very therapeutic. <laughs> I feel like you had some stigma around the idea of being identified in that space. I, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's because yeah. of what a lot of authors or a lot of people that write about this associate achievers with, or maybe the context that they specifically have. Because they'll think of it in the context of a Call of Duty leaderboard or like an MMO, like the, the highest level person. Yeah. And simplifying it down to that makes it feel, I don't know, petty somehow or just 
Um, like, you know, why is that important in life? Like there are other values that seem uh, reasonable there or just more wholesome, but right. I feel like it's actually, like it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't always come down to a leaderboard or mm. a set of points. It could really easily just be, like I said, solving a puzzle. So a great example would be something like Limbo. Limbo is an, oh, a, a game yeah. that I love, mm. and uh, and I love the aesthetic of it, and I love playing it by myself or with somebody else. And I just want – it's not necessarily even a story. I'm like, I just want – to solve the next puzzle that they hand me. <laughs> and my reward is getting to advance. Like nobody's going to know that I solved that puzzle. Yeah. There's no board. There's no po set of points. There's no like the time in which you did it or something. Well, yeah, basically, I don't, yeah, there was no timing other than just like timing within a specific puzzle, right. but there wasn't like, oh, some comparison with another player. It's not competitive. Yeah, only competitive with yourself. But I guess if an achiever is both competitive with others and with the self, then sure, I fall probably mostly in that category. But here's what I didn't find mm. in this in this quadrant. And I'm going to pull up some notes to see if I can actually be better than what happens when I speak out loud. Let's see if I can find it. Um, <laughs> actually, I have so many notes, I just like glazed over and was like, oh God, I'm never going to find it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm freaking out. <laughs> I feel I like so yeah, look at I, had a, um, I had a thought well, um, while you Okay, go that. for it. Go for the thought while I look. Yeah. Um, so the achiever, that achiever space feels like, and I, I think this is actually the case in, uh, in these diagrams when you actually look up the model, it is next to, as far as the plus sign, you know, stems go, um, it's next to the killer or let's call it a disruptor uh, group. And I feel like if you were someone that... Well, what do you mean next to? It's below killer and it's next to explorer. Is it? It depends on... Yeah, I'm looking at the hmm. the You're article you sent me. You are. Oh, okay. You love making shit up. <clears throat> well, I'm trying to rethink... What were you going to say? I'm trying... <laughs> Based on false facts. <laughs> it's, was, I, okay. I, yeah, maybe it's, not, maybe it's not aligned with Bartle's taxonomy. Um, but I think we've already identified that there are weird... That there, it, it's just a model. Um, it's not perfect. And I think that you could imagine a sort of disruptive person that is also achievement-focused. And that might... Uh, manifest as someone who is very competitive because they really enjoy overcoming or outdoing somebody else directly. And they're also very much concerned with uh, with like making it through the progression of uh, of a story or a world or like some sort of hierarchy like in a game. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think uh, so. I mean, I, it makes me also think that if... <laughs> <laughs> If I get rewarded for exploring, then I'm going to explore more, and then you might call me an explorer. Sure, but like, <laughs> but then it's kind of it's like the exploration itself is the achievement structure that you're going right. through. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, is there something? So, then my next question would be: Is there something diff, like fundamentally different about someone who enjoys exploring, or are they just someone who is rewarded or finds the achievement mm. in exploring further? Well, okay. What do you like about exploring? Um, it is, it's the things that actually, these are the things that I think I feel like I've identified about this over the past few weeks as thinking through this is just the exploration itself is, a, at least for me, a pattern of 
discovering something new and interesting, it doesn't necessarily become innate to me. It doesn't necessarily like improve my condition or my, my strength or my ability to survive in that space. Um, but what I do find fulfilling while exploring is the ability to continue to explore and subsist and be uh, and survive longer to continue to explore through and find new things and find interesting situations. And every time I end up in some sort of situation that was potentially like risky or dangerous or uh, could have like halted my, my you know, my progression uh, to continue to explore and I survive it, I make it through, that's really satisfying. I'm like, ah, I subsisted. I made it through. Um, I am, I'm not dead, whatever. Cool. I'm going to keep on wandering. I don't really like, I don't even really care about any particular like achievements or, or some sort of like conquering of that space. It's more just, can I, can I live another day to continue to wander and, and explore this space and find interesting things? Yeah. You know, I'm going to tangent a bit here because it, I feel like. <laughs> Mike and I were having a conversation earlier about what does it mean to be a basic bitch? <laughs> <laughs> like the whole, you basic. No, this was a lunchtime, yeah, you, you, you basic. basic. <laughs> now, this was a lunchtime tangent that happened uh, because I was reading a chapter in my favorite book, Hamlet and the Holodeck, and it was about how, like, what makes a... Uh, and like a robot or or a chatterbot or any type of automated or uh, robotic character in something, whether yeah, that's a game like a or, or a service, yeah. What actually makes them more human-like? Believable. And yes, believable. Okay. As a hu as a human. Yeah. Or as like not discernible as a ah, bot. Very similar is actually Ooh. the term here. Because we keep on talking about verisimilitude and verisimilar. Which I still don't get what that means. Well, but. If, a, if a chatterbot is believable, meaning it is hard to distinguish from reality, from a real person, then it is verisimilar. Meaning it is like, it's hard to verify that it is something separate from just real. Oh, right, 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 right. Similar okay. to reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. So, right, exactly. So now, the, the question was what really makes something... Uh, very similar. Uh, did I say that right? <laughs> <laughs> you just looked at me like... <laughs> no, that was good. That was... Okay. I, from my understanding, I mean, this is a new word for me as okay, well. Okay, yeah. All right. So uh, it just sounds like I'm saying very similar in a, in a, in a kind like. of drunk way. <laughs> very similar. <laughs> that is very similar. I believe that is very similar to what I saw. <laughs> oh, God, that did me in for some reason. Okay, so uh, I can't recover. Um, so chatterbots, chatterbots, whatever. Okay, so, so uh, one of the topics was basically, or one of the reasonings, uh, the, the conclusions of that was, that the believability of somebody was the element of surprise and that meant that they were they were unpredictable in some way now you can okay. also pick that apart too mm -hmm. but it made me think like um uh, uh if 
Go ahead. Well, I yeah. just want an unpredictable in a reasonable way or right. So it has manner. to be unpredictable, but um, believable. Or there was a different word um, that they used that was basically meant believable, uh, and uh, which meant that like unpredictable. But then ultimately, you can associate it with that yeah. person. You're like, oh, given the circumstances, given this person, given yada yada, mm. I believe that they would do this thing. Yeah. Or I believe that they would say this thing, um, which did lead lead me. I'll be honest. I was like, "Is surprise the right word? Yeah. Um, isn't it just that you uh, that somebody would be interesting or something like that?" But that's not that's not their. It made me think about um, about real humans and like what is it that that we like about them? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it also related it to characters in a novel or something like that. And it's like, well, if they were just kind of like robotic and moving along in life, that's not what we find interesting about reading fiction. Yeah. What we like is that they are just like their own human. And you're like, oh God, what are they going to do next? Right. You know? And it's not so surprising. It's because ultimately, like I said, it's believable because you're like, oh yeah, I, I, I can see how, why her character, you know, why she did that it's, or something it's like, like that. It may be surprising to you, but it, it makes sense in the context of that person. Like it, or right. in that the context of that story or setting. Like if it's a robot, then it makes con- makes sense in the context that they are talking about a certain thing, and maybe they start being completely spontaneous. But if it if it had no relation to the conversation before, you'd just feel like it was just spouting random words. Right, and a good example actually related to that is if you are trying to program a bot, what you don't want to do is give it like you're using numbers to attribute uh, how they feel about something. So um, you'll be like, uh, let's say you have a narrative with, um, you're interacting with a a robot cat and uh, that cat is programmed to be like how it feels about how, how strongly like one of the emotions it can feel is anger. And that will be like on a scale from one to 10, a one, towards a stranger and a 10 towards a dog. Okay. Um, <laughs> a 10 is dog. <laughs> but, right. But but if you present it with, um, and, and also uh, let's say a, um, a 10 is a, a dog, and I'm trying to think of what else cats hate. <laughs> like, uh, cucumbers. Yeah, and a or cucumber is, is a 10. <laughs> yeah. Seemingly not the case for my cats, but yes. Okay, so uh, so a 10 for cucumber and a 10 for dog. And then you present them with a dog and a cucumber, like that bot would be like, you know, like it wouldn't know what to do because it can't decide because you've, you've um, assigned the same number to these two different things. Like this is a really crude example of something, okay. right? So so the point being like with bots, it, it's it has to be like, relative to something else in terms of decision making often and if you like present two precise things it wouldn't know how to decide between the are two you, because it's uh, are you saying that because the the value that represents anger in this case is simplistic it's kind of it's it's binary it's either or it's not binary but it's like a it's a linear scale it's just zero okay to let's say yeah it's like let's say that it's programmed to make a decision based on its anger level uh-huh. and 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 to interact so it's like if let's say it was um it's like it's going to interact and bite the thing that it is angriest with well then what would happen if both were 10 it would bite both of them uh, but the point is, like, this is the bot. It would just like it wouldn't know. It would be like which one first. 
Oh, okay. Um, I would imagine that uh, just given enough resolution or numbers, one of them would be slightly more than the other. But I don't. But what is, what is what is? I'm trying to so, find the so, point or like the the okay, end. The point sort of. is that the point is that so with a human like there are often things in conflict coming back to cognitive dissonance, yeah. right? Like there are things in conflict with a human and that's why it's like, oh God, what are they going to choose? Like with Twilight, oh. it's like, is it Edward or, or, or is it Jacob? Um, or any, like lots of different stories like that where they're presented with a conundrum and they need to make decisions based off of that. And they're, we don't know what they're going to do. And that's like what keeps us interested in it. Okay. I'm trying to think of a different way to describe that than cognitive dissonance. Um, Because at least I I usually associate cognitive dissonance with two different ideas existing simultaneously that that rely on rationale or don't have rationale and they conflict. Not that they're two separate entities that you're just like, I don't know which one to choose. Okay, well then maybe not cognitive dissonance... uh... Uh, but just, just, a, uh, you know, two totally viable options. Okay. Like not a clear black and white. Yeah. Okay. Like either one of those could be a thing. And then like, at what point, what is telling the, the computer or the AI, which one to choose? Because there's not actually. Right. And the, the, the reality is that like the more realistic or very similar a, a bot is to a human, it's like, well, um, we wouldn't know, we wouldn't know what they would decide like that, that we, uh, that they would be just as kind of colorful as humans in that where it's not like a straight up, uh, you know, when you're programming things that it's, it's, uh, you need to add like that element of actual ca- colorful character yeah. into it. Right? So if you were going to program a believable bot in that situation, it would get really flustered and it'd be like, I don't, I don't know what thing to go with. Exactly. Um, what's the, this, is, yes. this is stupid. I don't want to have to choose. They're both great. Right. It, right. <laughs> like that would be believable. Either, like it wouldn't it, totally. <laughs> and like one of, <laughs> and one of the big things they talk about are like quirks of, of these characters mm. that like, uh, there was an example of a character who, um, had a had a um a bug basically, oh, okay. and that it started like banging its head on the ground randomly. Oh. But people really liked this character. They were like, "That guy, what is he doing?" That's you a know? very belief. Like this totally like <laughs> <laughs> that's a very human thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like this really weird random quirk, and they didn't like mean to do that. And everyone was like, "Yeah, this guy, I like this guy," you know. <laughs> So there is something it's, it, you were trying to isolate. Like, what is that? What is that sort of well, imperfection? Well, okay, I swear I'm going to bring this like full circle because remember it comes back to basic bitches. All so, right, because all of this was it. All of this was in the context of why Mike and I were having a lunchtime discussion about basic bitches. <laughs> so that that whole study got me thinking about, uh, like, what is it that one likes about humans and about other humans or or about, you know, if you think about why, well, what we like about characters in a book, are they're unpredictable and we don't know where they're going next? Well, then like the opposite of that is obviously, uh, sorry, did I say predictable? I meant unpredictable. You said unpredictable. What did I say? Okay. I think I was already forward in my head and then I worried. <laughs> um, so, uh, but that would mean the opposite is predictable. And so we don't really like predictable characters and, um, or we just find it like, you know, it, it breaks that illusion. And I think we'll find that in, in certain things where it's like, oh, this, 
uh, evil character or something is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's it, when it it's, just becomes it, boring. It's, it, when it's exactly what you expect, you were able to anticipate every single step of the way. And so you lose yeah. interest because it's all normal. It's None of it stands out as being different. And so you kind of yeah. just start to ignore it and you get bored. And that's right. what, like that. That's when a story feels contrived. It feels like, oh, well, you know, clearly I could see all the parts that made that happen. That's stupid. Exactly, just, yeah. yeah. Right. And so then I think basic bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't call it basic bitches. I know that that's the term, but just like basic people, basic humans, because I consider <laughs> bitch. Bitch applies to all humans. Like, doesn't matter your gender. Um, <laughs> my, my implication in, in would be someone I'm that just bitches it. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it means that you are extremely predictable, right? Like if you were trying to explain to your grandparents what the hell a basic bitch was, how w- how would you describe it? Um, someone that just does exactly what you would expect and is not as like a, a normie. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's it's not what? Like, what did you say? A normie. A normie. Um, basically, like what is an everything? Normie? Like everything that you do is exactly what you would expect that person in that lifestyle, in that high school, in that hometown, whatever. Like they did all of the things that anyone would expect them to do. So like nothing was yeah. a surprise. Nothing was interesting. Um, it's interesting that you bring this up because uh, there somebody called this out in an article I was reading, uh, I think, I feel like last year I came across this in particular is they, they made note of the fact that, uh, the, some of the most interesting people are the ones that you, that have lots of quirks and, and weird things about them that you just would not expect. You wouldn't expect someone to be like, Oh, this is a great example, uh, from Tiger King. Um, Joe, Mm -hmm. you would not expect to be a, uh, a, a Caucasian man living in the South, owning a bunch of tigers and be gay and have three husbands. And like, like all of the, there's all these different things that create cognitive dissonance in someone observing Mm -hmm. his situation. And they're like, wait, I don't usually observe or like what I expect or the, the, the visual I have as a person of what I think of when I think of someone who's gay and what I think of when I think of a, a white Southerner, and what I think of yeah. when I think of the Florida man and like you combine all those different ideas together and you've got preconceptions. But this one person comes along that combines them all. And you're like, what the fuck? How do those go together? Right, Which makes you just be like, what is he going to do? Yeah, next? And you're just super curious because it doesn't make yeah. sense to your brain. And your brain is like naturally. You're just trying to figure that person yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. And you're and it's interesting. It's just flat out interesting to see what that person is doing or to hear their opinion on something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so in that sense, the the basic person would be something of the opposite. It's like you said, you just expect uh, everything is expected that they uh, what they do and predictable and uh, and it's nearly and it's predictable because of various reasons. Like it's been outlined for us to to think that um, well, it's popular now uh, to go to Trader Joe's and to talk about getting white wine from Trader Joe's or something like that. And it's popular, like when, when Uggs were super fashionable, you know, and it was like, who was wearing, who was wearing Uggs? Now I will say that I wore Uggs and I don't consider myself a basic person, but the point is, Kelly the point is, is not is I basic. Love Uggs. I love Uggs. Okay. <laughs> um, 
Anyways, well, you can this you can wear Uggs. Circle, I swear. You can wear Uggs and have a three-legged cat and have a VR podcast all in one human being. There you yeah. go. There you yeah. go. You got to see you got to be a little bit basic Kelly to keep them guessing. Is interesting. By nature. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, all of this comes back to you what? because I think you are an explorer in this quadrant. Oh, oh, oh. when you coming up And I think that you could argue that in a lot of ways, like the achiever, the killer, and mm, a little bit the socializer could fit into a basic kind of thing. Like we're all taught to kind of achieve and, and climb the ladder. Mm. Uh, the killer mentality is just like... Um, Interesting. Well, I mean, if you're following a certain protocol to do something and see its effect on somebody, I don't know, like you play around with that, but you know for sure that the explorer, the explorer is not basic. The explorer wants to explore and like, see what's out there. You're going off the beaten path. And that's what you like going off the beaten path. And then being like, Oh, look, I can survive off the beaten path. I'm trying to think of an example of an explorer or a person exhibiting that kind of behavior that is just boring. Um, I I don't know Christopher Columbus. I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> My best friend from high school, Christopher. Good old Chris. <laughs> he claims he claims he discovered He's America. Big fan of spice. He was boring you know, as fuck. <laughs> big fan of spice. <laughs> He just would not stop. He would not so shut up about though? North America. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> this imaginary that continent would be out great. there. Um, I bet there are a lot of people. Like, I wonder what people written up in the history books are boring. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, like, they, they're just everything about them is what you would expect. I don't, I don't know. I feel like people that tend to be written about like that are not like they have something. The thing that is interesting about their story of them is that there are aspects of it that you would not expect or that would surprise you. Right. Yeah. So I think it would almost be a mistake. It's like if somebody got a lot of attention because of some political reason, but it turns out they're boring as fuck. Like that would be the reason they would be written in the history books. (laughs) But most of the time you would assume that they're, they're, somebody who who is not basic and explorers are often who we hear about in some way like whether that's somebody who is literally exploring like we're talking about Christopher Columbus discovering uh, certain areas or like if you're talking about uh, scientists like trying to explore and find out like what the solution yeah. is to the vaccine well that's all exploring Yes, I would not. But what I'm, what I think here, or at least my my feeling here, is that just being an explorer is not does not make you interesting. Oh. Yeah, um, you can be a. Boring I think you explorer. can be a basic is ass your... explorer. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Columbus, Columbus, for instance, basic explorer. There were a million other European explorers that did the same things that he did. Maybe they didn't hit the North American continent when he did, but there were also uh, leaf. Do you think that Christopher Columbus was a basic bitch? (laughs) (laughs) That's the name of this episode. Christopher (laughs) Columbus. Did you know Christopher Columbus was a basic bitch? (laughs) He was just doing what the fuck everybody else was doing at that time. Ponce de Leon. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he was basically wearing Uggs, jeans tucked in Uggs. <laughs> Holy shit. He was an Ugg-wearing Spanish sailor. <laughs> Wait a minute. No. Let me get my... Fa- it was Christopher Columbus was not... Christopher Colombo. 
Oh, God. Well, I spent more time studying Leif Erikson and Eric the Red when I was growing up. Because they actually, if you're talking about Europeans hitting the... He was Italian. Yeah. And... Honestly, I wouldn't have guessed it. Oh, shit. Sorry. All of my history. I actually love history, but yeah. I don't know shit, apparently. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I should have just said he was American. <laughs> Christopher Columbus, <laughs> the first American. No, it was. I swear there was something with Spain, though. There was. Uh, Queen, Elizabeth, well, there was- uh, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand agreed to sponsor a journey. So it was like some sort of... yeah. Uh, I feel like he went to Spain and got funded by them to go and explore. I I think that's the story that I remember, and it may not be accurate because I haven't studied fifth grade history for a very long time. Um, We're good. (laughs) I think we've (laughs) we've basically got it. We basically have it down. All right. Oh, they were the Catholic monarchs of Spain. Okay, wait. Sorry. I just got to get this out there. (laughs) Close that loop. He was an Italian explorer (laughs) and colonizer and basic bitch who completed (laughs) four (laughs) four voyages across the Atlantic Ocean that opened the new world for conquest and permanent European colonization of the Americas. His expedition, sponsored by the Catholic monarchs of Spain, were the first European contact with the Caribbean, Central America, and South America. Okay. I'll have to do do some more research to figure out just how basic he is well there were um, other europeans that hit first like eric the red uh who discovered greenland and iceland and then leif erickson his son who sailed across and hit newfoundland which is canada basically mm, yeah like right there yeah. off the edge of canada lots of lots of drama and politics yeah. around all that was way that was way before situations. columbus it was like four or five hundred years before columbus or something yeah. but anyways um that's neither neither here nor over the sea <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but let us know what you think. We'll do a poll. Yeah. Was Christopher Columbus a basic bitch? <laughs> Stay tuned. So I think you can. I think um, you, my point is, I think you can be an explorer in this in this sense in this taxonomy and be boring. It does, being you can think of it as an an explorer as what you would talk about in like history and stuff, and they sound interesting. But I'm saying that this should not be synonymous with that. You could just. I don't know. Anybody that you've ever met who like literally all they do is just they don't settle down. That's true. They like I go. would find it boring watching an explorer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah. well, it's like if they're just like fucking puttering around in the grass. I'm like, dude, what's your goal here? <laughs> See, you're looking for Move achievement. On. In this I know. I, I all I've done here so far is confirmed that I'm an achiever. <laughs> I really came in strong with thinking I didn't fit on this grid and I'm like the most achiever. <laughs> I'm like your <laughs> quintessential achiever. <laughs> uh, well, to be real though, the one thing that, so I wrote that I did find what I wrote down. Um, so I thought about, and this goes back to the previous thoughts on thoughts of like, what, what do you want out of an, a game? Right. And, so whether it is games, movies, books, or like other media, I wrote down that I want to learn and be knowledgeable. That's num- that's one, uh, not necessarily in order. And uh, I want to be moved or to experience powerful emotion. And I want to be challenged. Oh, okay. I want to have fun. Mm. And then there's like an optional like bonus which is i want to share the experience with others so that could even mean like reading a book and then yeah. being able to talk to somebody about that book who also read which the we book. both share that um, for sure because yeah. as soon as i find something cool uh, i, I want to share it with to other have people that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have to. Like, I'm fine just living in that by myself, but it's it's a nice bonus. So now when I think about that, um, so there isn't anything on here that's like somebody who wants to learn, but I guess you could call them an achiever. Uh, but what about to be moved or to experience powerful emotion? Where does that fit on here? Um, I feel like it's a side effect. So two things came to mind when you were listing those out. One, fun, the word fun. Um, all of these people want to have fun like everybody wants to have fun but it's what they do oh, differently I'm pissed that you, that's the one thing you picked out so far I'm like of course everybody wants to have fun I listed all those other emotional things <laughs> yes okay so what I'm saying is that oh perfect example actually so Forrest and I happened to be in an MMO the other night um, we were on a raft and we were, Ooh. we had decided that we were going to get onto this raft and just go out into the ocean. We couldn't afford an actual boat. So first we found this random fishing vessel that was just kind of wandering around and we hopped on that ship and took it to an island out in the ocean. Okay. Once we got there, we realized we didn't have enough money, nor did we have a ship to get anywhere else. So we wandered around. We were kind of just exploring. We were yeah. looking for things. There was no structure. Wait, sorry. Like, what game was this? It's an it's an MMO. It's an online multiplayer game. You're not like going to say world. which one. Uh, it's Black Desert Online. I've okay. been experimenting with this recently. Okay. Um, so we found ourselves on this island, and we're like, okay, well, what do we do now? Um, so Find we went a volleyball. And f- <laughs> <laughs> draw a face on it. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop the peanut gallery. Go on. <laughs> We went and found a um, uh, somebody that was selling boats. And so he had enough money to buy literally like a castaway raft. Now, is the like person was, selling the boat, though, a, another human being? No. Okay, it's not. It's, just a, it's, a, it's an NPC. Okay, it's a okay. non-player right, character. On. Yeah. But they're another, there's something to interact with in the world. There's something that is yeah. like selling you things. Um, and he's like, here, I'll sell you this boat. So we bought a, a log raft. Um, so we're literally sitting there using one oar and we're on a, on a bunch of logs lashed together trying to cross the, the sound to get to nearby islands. Wow. Um, <laughs> it was taking way too long. Like, yeah. Just ri- like literally real time, a good 30, 40 minutes we spent what? trying to try to stuck on this tiny little raft, the two of our characters oh God, I'm trying so to cross glad the I'm ocean. I'm not an explorer. I'm just like, no. <laughs> So we're like, all right, we got to find some way to do this better. Like, this is terrible. We're never going to get anywhere. And we managed to, on the map, see another fishing boat that's coming by. And so we try to jump on that. We both hop off the raft. We wait for it to come by. I manage to, at the last second, grab onto the edge and pull myself in, up into the boat. Forrest gets sucked underneath and slips, <gasps> and he doesn't, he doesn't, he misses it. So he what? gets left behind. I'm sitting there standing on the boat, watching him in the distance no! as this boat is taking me away. <laughs> and he's just sitting there swimming in the middle of the ocean. What did he do? Um, oh my gosh. So <laughs> I'm like, fuck, uh, what do we do now? So I ended up jumping back off and swimming back towards him. Wow, and what a hero. Definitely wouldn't have done that. Would have been like, sorry, man. Selection. <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it. I was like, you find yeah. your own way back. <laughs> yeah, natural selection, um, man. See ya. <laughs> but meanwhile, I'm swimming back towards his area, which is like a good five, maybe a thousand yards or so away. Um, he, like this fishing boat, not a, not a, it was an actual like player owned galleon. It was like a, like a pirate ship. It was big. 
uh, just happened to come up and drop anchor and start fishing right there in the middle of the water between these islands. And so he swims over to the side and I managed to make it back just before drowning and running out of stamina. Um, and we both get on this ship and we're like, uh, what do we do? Do we talk to this person? Do we just like try to stow away and stay invisible and see yeah. where they go? So we hop up on, we decide to go talk to him. We hop up on this shift. I, or I tell them what happened and that we've been at this for like an hour and a half trying to, uh, find our way around. And they end up agreeing to take us back to the island, like to the mainland, uh, yeah. the, the dock. So we ended up hitching a ride all the way back to the docks. Uh, where we initially started. <laughs> oh so this is like a, a two-hour venture of just kind of wandering around on the islands yeah. and swimming the ocean, getting lost, and then finally getting a ride back with a kind wow. human. Wow. And I this all like, happened in a game. Yeah. I'm like, I feel like I was there with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? That sounds really fun. Like, I would love to do that with a friend. Uh, yeah, granted, I definitely would have ditched you 10 minutes into that, <laughs> 10 minutes into that rafting experience. I would have been like, you're on your own. I will exit out and join back in later on when you figured it out. Um, <laughs> when you found your way somewhere Right. Else. But it sounds really fun to do with a friend for sure. But on my own, I would probably just be like, what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah, I, I don't, I think I'm probably more of an explorer when it's social. Yeah. Um, when it's, when I'm in games by myself, I, I do at some point start to lose interest in just yeah. wandering. Uh, if I'm, cause I, I, I do have that social aspect where I like, I want to share things with and bounce thoughts and things back and forth and just talk about the place we're in. Yeah. Uh, but so, I think that's a side effect of being an, exper- an external processor as well. Well, okay, but going back to the whole, like, you were saying, oh, that the word that stood out was fun, like, everybody wants to have fun, and then yeah. you went into that story, and also you haven't yet answered my question about where oh, on God. that quadrant is the is the uh, wanting to be moved or, or experience powerful emotion. You said that oh, that's right. a side effect, but I don't, I don't agree. Like, that's okay. literally what I want out of things, so is that, to experience so that. Was, that. That was actually my point in bringing up that whole situation, and I got lost in telling the story. <laughs> I got lost too. I was <laughs> lost with you. It's okay. <laughs> so the whole reason I brought that whole uh, series of unfortunate events up is that through all of that adversity and complications and getting lost and finding a ride and making it back just on like the skin of our, our tails and, and just happening to do that, it was the... The skin of our tails? Is that a I don't, I don't saying? Know. I don't... Uh, Not to interrupt, but... I, I, isn't the skin of our teeth? Skin of our teeth, yeah. There is definitely nothing... That's a new one. The skin of our tails. And then the first thing... Ew, ew, ew. The first thing that comes up is the human tail, a simple skin oh, appendage. Oh, no. No, it's the vestigial appendage. Then one, a tail of two tails, not just skin deep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, no. The skin of your tail. The skin of your tail. Do go on. Do our, go on. We made it back by the skin of our teeth. It was through that whole experience and having survived and gotten back to live another day, when we set foot back on that deck, 
both Forrest and I, he audibly was like, oh, and just, just like that, they're, they're gone. They're gone. That was, that was it. They just jumped off the boat as well and left. And then we just kind of sat there and like soaked in. This is the emotional part. We just kind of soaked in the whole experience that we had just had, which now culminated in us managing to make it back to the dock alive from the kindness of a random stranger. And we felt fulfilled, like emotionally fulfilled and in, engaged with this world through hmm. that experience. It was totally emotional. It was really cool when this person happened to be nice and actually decided to give us a ride back. Like I felt elated that that even happened because you in these kinds of environments, oftentimes you'll run into someone that is just just as willing to just screw you over. Yeah. Because the consequences aren't necessarily right, right. You know, real world there. Yeah. Um, hmm. So there was there was this huge emotional component to it. Hmm. But and, Which is and why you I, like I, I that. Think that. So yeah, I get I I agree partially that yes, it's a side effect of a lot of these things. Um, well, I guess it's just like asking the question: What is it that you want out of playing a game or reading a book or or watching a movie or something like that? Which. I would say is to be is to have fun, which kind of means to be entertained and, or engaged in some capacity. But that's where it divides because once you say that, ev- that's why there's a, there's groupings of different people. Different people find different things engaging or fun. That's all which, you want is to have fun. Have you ever like watched a tough documentary <coughs> that wasn't fun that you're like, wow, I'm really glad I watched that. No, I'm not saying that's all I want. <laughs> but what do you, oh, I mean, we could we could dig into that? No, <laughs> no, I don't like watching documentaries that are meaningful. <laughs> I don't like doing anything meaningful. Just yeah, having. Fun. I just go, I just want to have fun, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. What just do you a basic dude? <laughs> what <laughs> What do you get out of? I just read you a, the fucking list. I I won. Uh, to learn or be knowledgeable, like I definitely love. You enjoy, you enjoy being knowledgeable or 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 learning things and feeling like you have you have gained something new. Right? And Are you saying enjoy meaning like that's me having fun? Yes. Because you can you can learn to to put yourself through pain. <laughs> <That's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> throw throw my journal in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can learn to to enjoy adversity and pain um, or unpleasant things because you there is some I sort call of reward. That having fun though, like it's I not, went but, to Morocco, zero fun was had there. Absolutely zero fun was had there uh, for me in a particular experience. And it's like I learned a shit ton about like myself, about the world, about humans. That was very painful. Uh, but I'm glad that I did it. And that's the reason that I travel, the reason that I put myself in uncomfortable positions. That's not so, having fun. So let's call it a different word because I don't like the word fun either. That was from your your journal. That was just one of the many. You, you <laughs> honestly, you keyed in on, I had a full three before that. I said to learn and be knowledgeable, to be moved okay. or to experience powerful emotion and to be challenged. All of those happened before to be, to have fun. And then you just, you just clung on to have fun. Like I'm some <laughs> fucking idiot that just wants to play Angry Birds all day. <laughs> So may, the word that I would use to describe those things is fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So like you want to be fulfilled by the experiences that you're having. And there are, uh, uh, there's definitely times when you just kind of turn that off and, you know, you're like, 
this is just to distract me. Right. I don't want to think. Which but is when, when you I'm are, like, I just want to have fun. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's call that fun. <laughs> well, oh, interesting. <laughs> or, so or the, I, I do. I looked up the definition of fulfilled mm-hmm. um, to satisfied or happy because of fully developing one's abilities or character. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I do like that I, word. I think it's fulfilling. I, and I, I would almost take happy out of there. Because happy has too many specific Well, it says satisfied or happy. Yeah. Content. Interesting. Pleased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's fulfillment. I like to be pleased. <laughs> Wait a second. That was like, last episode. Yeah. That's almost pleasure. Mm. <laughs> that's just fun. <laughs> I mean, maybe you find challenging. <laughs> People are complicated organisms. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Fine. So where do we go from here? <laughs> so, so fulfilled is is maybe a better word to describe that in that, or to describe all the things that you were talking yeah. about there is that you found those things challenging and therefore when you overcame those challenges yeah. of being in Morocco, right. you look back on it and it's satisfying. Right. You feel like you gained something from it. And so, like, similarly to the challenges that you would encounter in any sort of game or story that is interactive, it's it, like, comes back to that sort of balance of challenging uh, the player with the type of challenges that they empathize with or that they, that they enjoy, that they find fulfilling, and not to so much of a degree that they just constantly fail because, you know, right. we'll lose yeah. interest if it's Which is going to be different based on the person, so that's why it's hard... to like there's no even like we've said with this whole quadrant it's like anyone can fall we're all humans anyone can fall anywhere within it i think it's helpful Mm. to have certain group groupings um and identities so that as a designer you can try to aim for something um Mm -hmm. but ultimately it's it's a tool yeah it's a tool that is maybe helpful for some people as they're creating a game but for us as humans, we're like, well, I fall all over the place on that. You know, actually, the other day I was thinking about this, and I I think an important point to note here is not to try to fit yourself into this grid in your entirety. Like, I don't think it's as important to say, I am an explorer, or I need to be an achiever, or something like that. It's more that at a particular point in time, when you're building a game or an experience that's interactive, you you need to think about what is the type of persona, not a, not an actual person, but a, the type of persona, the type of headspace that, that you are targeting. Wanna, yeah, that we're trying to get people in. I, I like that. And it made me think yeah. of another note about just mood because I I understand that it's annoying when people are just like, I don't know, it depends. But that's honestly what it feels like when somebody's like, well, which one are you? It's like, it fucking You depends. may be different every day. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, like you may I'm, be different at different times. Right. Like when you said to have fun, I got offended by that in the sense that like, well, to have fun, <laughs> to have fun isn't fulfilling. I'm not always looking to have fun, but there are definitely times where I want to check out and have fun. Like, yeah, I've, de- I've probably mentioned how much I love The Bachelor. Like, is that fulfilling? <laughs> Question mark? I say yes. Everybody's no. got a fun quota. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is that song from SpongeBob? Did you watch SpongeBob growing up? I watched a lot of it in Spain. <laughs> oh, whoa. Okay. No, I've never heard abroad. the Spanish I didn't, No, I did. Uh, I, I only 
for some reason, it really stuck in my brain because when I was studying abroad in Spain, this child in the house I was living in would watch it and it would go, Bobes Bonja, Bobes Anyways, yeah, was... I watched a little bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you have like the, uh, <laughs> the B-sides and like mystery versions of SpongeBob that I <laughs> never would have seen in the, in the United States. I guess Spanish wouldn't have been that rare. But. Yeah. Um, I was thinking specifically of the fun song from SpongeBob. Oh no! Did you ever come across that? No. It's like F is for friends that do stuff together. U is for you and me. And oh, that sounds familiar. And anytime at all down here in the deep blue sea. Wow. And then there's a really dark one that playing. Can we comes add up. that to our album? <laughs> <laughs> Just do like a remix on it and I'll rap. F is for fun. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I immediately just wanted to swear, and I decided it wasn't appropriate. Um, <laughs> well, there's an alternate version that's like Plankton sings it, and it's like F is for fire that burns down the whole town, U is oh, no. for uranium bombs, and is for no survivors down Wow, yeah. you really know your SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> I watched way too much growing up. I think I could, I could speak almost entirely in a language composed of SpongeBob gifs and memes. Wow. These are things I didn't know about you. <laughs> I feel like I send you those all the time. You do, and now it all makes sense. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought that those just happened to be, like, memes you liked or something. No, they're, they just... Mm. I, I think you can find one to describe most situations in life. Like the one <laughs> where he's sitting there reaching into the into the vending machine yeah. um, while there's a bus stop behind him, and every time he reaches in to grab the candy bar, a bus comes up and stops, and he pulls his hand out, and the bus goes backwards. And then when he puts it back in to grab the bar, the bus comes back up. And so he's like sitting there trying to figure out how to get the candy bar and go catch the bus. <laughs> At the same time, he's like, fuck, no! <laughs> and like three of them pass by while he's trying to figure out what to do. And it's so real, because I've been in that situation so many times. Like everybody that's lived in a major city has. <laughs> but it's like a kid's cartoon, so you'd never think it was that relatable. Oh god, that's awesome. Well, I look at Spongebob all different now. Um, Alright, well, anyways, uh, what are we talking about Spongebob? <laughs> I don't okay, know so, how that, yeah. so you say that you oh, want to have fun. You want to have fun. That's what you want out of games. I just want to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I already did that one. Move on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> uh, let it go. So, uh, what you want to have fun? Do you also want to be fulfilled? No, I no, I I don't. Fun is fun is not f- like fun is enjoyable from time to time. But you're you, everybody yeah. is like looking for a fulfilling experience for them. Right. Um. And Unless it they're like just exploration, detaching. though. So you're saying that the fulfillment is a is a, a side effect or something like that, or just an effect of something else oh, of, of playing one of those characters. But really, like your ultimate goal is that emotion, and you just think that exploring gets you there. It's just a vehicle to that goal. It is that like. What is that emotion? Is it there? I mean, I know there's one I already know about, which is why I enjoy hiking. Is that like that awe that you feel when you find a new place and it just like opens up an expanse before you and you can see out yeah. the horizon and you feel small or you feel like you're you're you suddenly feel like you are part of a larger thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And and that kind the of the overview gives you, effect, remember? Yes. Yeah, from episode mm. two. Full Little circle. Tom, Tommy Fernandez. <laughs> Bring him back. Such a great guy. Uh, uh yeah. Yeah, I think, I think there's that is one element there, or at least feeling part of like a, a larger sort of world that seems to have all kinds of real intricacies and things to find. Um and there's also like an unpredictability about it that is satisfying to to weather and successfully navigate literally yeah. in that story case it was navigating the sea but um but I, I i keep on in my head i keep on thinking about this other group that is the the, the disruptors or the killers group um mm-hmm. and like what puts you in that kind of headspace if we're going to separate these categories from people and acknowledge that you might be in any number of these different categories at any different point in time depending on just how you're feeling that day what puts somebody in that headspace? What puts what puts somebody in the headspace of like going into a space and just wanting to like uh, disrupt other people or like prod or affect other people or be a troll? Um, all of those kind of, at least within this space, fall into that that group. Within the sorry, so what what puts people in the killer mindset is what you're saying? Meaning calling it the killer based on what they've labeled it as? Yeah, I want, but I want to, yeah, right, killer I'm disruptor. Just, I'm trying to yeah. associate it with the right group. Okay, so yeah, uh, disruptor. disruptor. Okay. Uh, what puts people in that mindset? I mean, yeah, like I what is know. the motivation there? You're asking the wrong gal. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I had a thought. Um, if you are in a headspace where you are trying to have, you're just, you're just trying to detach. Um, you're trying to just do things that are immediately gratifying and kind of, fun more like your your bachelor example where you're like i just i don't want to i don't want to try to pursue bigger goals or anything i'm just kind of i'm i'm in the headspace that right now i just want to go and like do stuff that is pretty immediately um satisfying so i'm just going to go and bug these people over here or i am going to go and uh piss off people um, mm. by like no scoping them in Call of Duty which would just be like a, a hack that you can do in the game I, I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with non-negative examples though so I'm well, I, I feel okay. like that is just oversimplifying it can't be the case that everyone that gets in that headspace is just an, an asshole <laughs> So I I think of it, I don't know if I have any good examples, but the more you talk about it, I think of it as somebody who wants to see their impact. Yeah. And and like understand they, they want to wield their power or their control in some way. And so let's let's use a magical example. Like somebody who if it was just a, that you could uh, concoct spells. Mm-hmm that person would just want to like do spells all the time that would see what changed, but the spells would be like, change that frog into this, uh, into the princess, um, Mm -hmm. uh, change those flowers into a rabbit. Um, make that person die, make that person come back from the dead. Like they would just want to do that all the time to understand, to, to use their power and make things happen like that. Those, 
I, I've, I get in that headspace sometimes. Um, so, like, I, this is why I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to mm. differentiate it from yeah. this killer mentality because it can't just be that it's trolls. That's just too simple. Right. Well, um, I wish we had someone here who identified strongly as that, but I... I feel like for me, I, it's not that I don't get into that mentality. It's just that as soon as I think about that, I associate it with achievement. If mm. um, I'm trying to think of like an example where it wasn't like leading to winning the game or getting past something, like would I just end up, would I keep shooting pancakes at the bunnies just for fun or would I do it because it's going to advance me to the next round or I'm defending myself and I'm trying to survive? I mean, it's pretty rare that I would just sit there and do that just to see like the effect of a bunny being in the face of a <laughs> <laughs> so It sounds amazing right now. I think that it loses its novelty pretty quickly. It's like, oh, I want to see what I can do. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't have a sense of... Yeah, I feel like I have nothing valuable to add because I'm not one of those people and I can't, I'm trying to think of even, even trying to get into the headspace of that. It's, it's all towards a goal of some kind, mostly for me. There was a, there was an interesting example that was brought up in, that happens in like MMOs on these online games, um, is that these different, these different groups of people, um, or different, let's not say groups of people, these different player tendencies, um, tend to counteract and balance one another out. Um, and they tend to ebb and flow if you put them all into the same environment. Um, obviously, some games have a lean towards, or some experiences have a lean towards a certain subset of those people or those types of play. Oh, wait, what if you think of all of these as just different, like if this is the space of how people play? Hmm. So like whether that is exploring a space or like seeing how far you can get in a space, like a more achievement um, or like seeing what else, like what other people you can interact with or bring into that space. Um, does that make sense? Like, like it's not necessarily what a human is going into the game. It's what it's what this the is, di- different types of interactions they can have within a play space is that what you're saying yeah so like I'm, i've really been trying to separate this whole idea from video games because it's not just about video games mm-hmm. like we're talking about any sort of interactive experience whether that is in xr or it's literally just chess and cards or it's actually real life we we like met we met a game in real life like we find we we make things into games in the sandbox of real life all the time. Mm-hmm. So we have this fascination with making things into games because it simplifies the space that we're playing in and it creates artificial constraints, kind of like painting on a canvas. You're not just painting space. You have limited, there's a limitation to the medium. And so you have to work within that. But people get really creative when there are some constraints in place. So games are this sort of dynamic uh this interplay between rules as a play space um so then these kinds of behaviors that people exhibit these different groupings or similarities and behaviors that people exhibit in a play space a game um are they they kind of pervade all of these different kinds of mediums uh from cards to to skyrim to uh to alex in in vr or anything 
this is maybe that's like stretching way too much, but it seems like it seems like you could find analogies to these different kinds of uh, to different not ways just video games, but different games. It's it, what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, not I'm, necessarily different media, but different games. Yeah, yeah. Like they're they're all games. We just happen to call video games. That's that's a, that's a, <laughs> the first time I imagined. <laughs> I started thinking about somebody being an explorer of a chessboard, and it made me laugh. <laughs> like ah. well, <laughs> this person's like, "I'm going to go over here," and you're like, "You literally can't." What's can't at this side of the board? <laughs> <laughs> the most annoying chess opponent. <laughs> I, I I feel like you uh, could be good. You could be an explorer playing chess. You could be someone that loves trying to find new maneuvers in chess. So like you are exploring the space of that okay, game. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're just trying to find new things. There so it's something that it it seems to to come up in all of these different mediums. Um, and it seems like people tend to exhibit different subsets of these behaviors depending on their state of mind at a particular time. Um, but they also balance one another out. So one of these videos that I came across was talking about how in MMOs, you'll have people who are explorers, uh, tend to, they go, they go just, they want to find all the random little like weird niche things or discoverable things, or they want to find the unknown moves in chess or whatever. And then achievers oftentimes will later on start to pick up the things that explorers discover or find Mm. once explorers have lost interest in them because they've already been found and uncovered. And then achievers start to create, like turn those into the next goal, like to, to beat other people on or to use against other people or whatever. Um, does that make sense? So then I guess, well, like, let's take the game of soccer. How would you apply these? Um, (laughs) I was, I would definitely, (laughs) I would fall under the socializer because I was just on the bench. You're just talking to me. Just hanging out. Best team spirit. Always. Um, Hmm. I, I I have no other examples to use other than my own experience with soccer, which admittedly is not as extensive as many people in my family. Okay, but, well, what's a sport that you're but, familiar with? Well, no, I mean, I I think soccer is is reasonable. Um, or maybe wrestling. Uh, let's let's go with that. But I also I think this would apply to soccer or basically any sport like uh, that. You do wrestling, and if I need to, uh, <laughs> if, if I feel the need to apply it then to soccer, I will do so. Okay. So, like, what would be an exploratory behavior in wrestling? Um, Maybe coming up with new moves? Yeah, I think but it would I be... But I feel like explorer is my least interesting one. What about, like, I guess it's socializer and killer. It's like expl- achiever, that seems to make sense to me with, with sports, but socializer doesn't, killer doesn't, and explorer is, if we just say making up new moves, then sure. Sure, like it'd be exploring the space of possible new moves or like new ways yeah. of doing things. But I also think that's um, fine, but, like because he's not saying here that all of them need to apply to every game. Kill, I don't think I, that's the point. I think the, uh, the well, yeah, maybe they don't all need to apply to every game. But in the context of wrestling, since you asked, I the example that comes to mind is somebody that uh, that is that enjoys like really finds it satisfying to inflict see pain the, on somebody they see the effect they're having 
on the mm, other person. Very um, interesting. Yeah. So like it's it's a psychological uh, sort of mm. meta game for yeah. them of how can I impact the other person um, yeah. in various ways. And in that, in that context, it's pain or, you know, overcoming right. them and seeing their frustration. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I definitely came across people like that. I personally don't it's not something that does it for me but um but i did find it satisfying to become really good at a particular move so like there's also right. an achievement element there well like in basketball it would be like talking smack you know probably <laughs> like trying to throw them off their game like how can you impact the other player yeah. trying to like intimidate them somehow yeah um <laughs> talking smack Which, i feel like that's not the <laughs> lingo they use <laughs> talk shit you just talk you shit talking uh, uh, which i was never good at talking smack <laughs> yeah i'd be like you well i wasn't on the court to begin with but if i was i would have been like you have weird eyebrows <laughs> i immediately even in just this example felt felt guilty for saying anything mean to them and i was like i don't know I don't know. <laughs> well, because I, I'm pretty sure you're, I would guess that you're more on the social spectrum of, or the socially empathetic spectrum of being concerned about your impact on others rather yeah. than like what, it, yeah, that's, is that rather the opposite? Than curious to see how, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, if, if I guess it feels mm. like a stretch, but I probably was some mix between the achiever and the socializer, because when I think about soccer, like I, I, was at a pretty competitive school and, uh, you know, was like sitting the bench pretty early on to the point where it was like, what was even fucking keeping me doing that? You know, mm. it's like, I'm not getting in on the games. I, um, and it was a social aspect. It yeah. was just like, I have great teammates. They were all my good friends, you know? And, and that was honestly, I think what kept me in it for so long. Yeah. So it didn't matter if I wasn't the one achieving something or, you know, whatever. And I certainly probably, I wasn't an explorer and that's probably why I didn't play because I... <laughs> so you so you, you ended up kind of letting go of a particular element there, which, which was the achievement structure and you just worried more about, it became more of a socially fulfilling, fulfilling Right, uh, right. That was, activity. that was, right. Now, had I been playing more, that probably would have been different. Like for hockey, I played and I was way more of an achiever mindset. Yeah. Okay, so you, you were more competitive in that space. For sure, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I, I think, so I, I think you can find examples of these in, in different sports or other, they're, they're all games of various types, but I think you, you would still, you'd still be able to find examples of those kinds of behavior yeah. from different people. Mm. Um, but all of that seems to say that there's no, it's not about identifying a single person to fit under these. It's more at, from a design perspective, if you're creating a story or a space to, for people to live in and experience things in, it's more about what types of fulfillment or fulfilling experience are you trying to create? Yeah, um, like being intentional and having some sense of, of who you're aiming for or what type yeah. of interaction you're aiming for man bartle Bar bart <laughs> bartle bart <sighs> um great this, great quadrant what is his first name i'm I don't trying know. to look for it's, it I just you know, know what's confusing is. is the article you sent me the person who wrote it is his it's name is bart, bart oh it is bart <laughs> so bart wrote about bartles bart, taxonomy. No, no 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 his name is bart that's it bart stewart oh so sadly 
Bartle's name is not Bart Bartle, which is what I thought at first. <laughs> uh, wait, but that's not uh, the same person. Bartle. Is that I the know, same person? I'm saying, no. Richard Bartle. There you go. It was Richard. Yeah. Okay. I, I remember now that you told me. <laughs> Dick Bartle. <laughs> oh, that, I guess. Why is Dick a name, a nickname for Richard? Um, or like Bob for Robert? Yeah. Like that... Bobbert maybe is a little closer. <laughs> you could you could stretch and say maybe somebody got Bob from Robert, yeah. but Dick yeah. from Richard is no. Those are two completely yeah. different things. Yeah. My my I all I can think of right now is that my best friend she uh her parent like growing up her parents names are abigail and robert and i have this memory of like i think i've really amplified it in over childhood (laughs) but in my head i had this interaction with them where i was like okay bobby and abby and they were like don't (laughs) (laughs) no like absolutely not yeah (laughs) they have been abigail and robert ever since (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyways um speaking of just like desire for outcome with games and experiences uh before we close anything up i did say that i wanted to talk a little bit about like what we are both trying to do individually we were on the same page that's exactly what i was going to transition to (laughs) oh shit brain twins twins every time (laughs) so literally i was gonna be like so what do you what do you want to do next (laughs) What? Yeah. What is what is the next thing? Why are I'll we? I'll be honest. I I don't know. Right now, I'm in total. I feel like I'm in a weird quarantine mode. Yeah. Um, and I I have had historically just wanted to create. Like I thought, what was something I wanted to do was was maybe like some mix of storytelling and education within VR. Um, I happen to really love the narrative experiences in VR. Mm-hmm. Um, like I do like the games and stuff, but that's not really where my passion lies. What makes I, something narrative for you in this, um, in this space? Just to clarify. So good point. Like I should describe that more. And I, so it has a mix of like the point of it is the story. So versus a game where a lot of it is like the interaction and the story is just kind of interwoven, like with Alex, you're on a mission and there's a story around that mission. But the point of the game is not to experience that story per se. It's like to experience the world and to follow that mission and to go through the puzzles and follow all of that. Um, But there are like certain there's way more going on than just like wanting the main purpose be to tell a story. You mean watching somebody else's story? Not necessarily. Well, cause when I'm in that, I feel like I am, I mean, I, I do feel some agency in that I am trying to guide Alex through, but yeah. I also feel like I am observing her right. story through this series of events. That's a good point. And so actually that's helpful because what I don't mean to say is that all I'm interested in is some sort of passive experience situation. Yeah. 
I do. That's what I meant when I said I love those. Like, I do actually love the passive experiences. Like, there are some Mm -hmm. really good ones out there. And actually, I just sent you a gift. You probably didn't have time to play it yet, but it's called Gloomy Eyes. No, I haven't tried it yet, but I will. (laughs) I cannot wait until you try this thing. Um, I experienced it at like a demo of it a few years ago. I have been waiting for this game to come out. for like two or three years. And I think it was a demo and then they must, they got like taken over by somebody because now they have Colin Farrell narrating it. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I do not remember that. Um, But uh, it's called gloomy eyes and you can just get it on steam. And uh, it's, it's like a diorama experience. So everything Mm. is smaller and you're this giant who's just observing a story that's happening on this uh, diorama that's like all kind of around you. And okay. one of the things I love about the experience is actually how it transitions between scenes, like it's surrounding you. And so you'll kind of have like a certain scene lit up and then like it'll move to the next one and you'll kind of have to rotate and see the next scene lit up. But you are a giant. You don't have a role in that. Okay, you're just so you are, you're basically a camera you're a camera and you're just observing the story. And when I say you're yeah. a giant, I just mean actually that not that you're a giant, but that these things are small. Like the story yeah. is playing out through these kind of like doll like Your uh, perspective is like looking down at a miniature scene. Right. And it's very like Tim Burton esque mm. uh, and uh, dark and gloomy. Um, <laughs> and I, I thought the story was like really neat. It felt like folklore and it was done so well and it was really beautiful. And it was this like love story about zombies. And I honestly, it's funny because I fucking hate zombies and I think it's all overdone. And I have to admit that when there were zombies in Alex, I rolled my eyes because I just like, I'm not the per I'm not the audience for all these zombie things. Yeah. That being said, I am definitely the audience for a zombie love story. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) there is like a zombie love story. Movie? called like warm bodies yes is that the one yes. you're talking about yep. so good i know that was um, really good <laughs> so this is like along those lines i'm like it's like warm bodies meets uh the nightmare before christmas <laughs> oh, <laughs> when you play awesome. it that's actually not gonna be that far off okay. anyways i digress so uh what's my point i don't know i mean I, so it can be passive. I do love a lot of the passive experiences. And I think some people might ignore those uh, Mm. because they think that like, what I don't think is that VR should only be interactive. Mm. I think that you can actually achieve pretty powerful stuff without having interaction. And I don't know if you need to force it. Like that was a really powerful storytelling experience to me. And I had absolutely no agency. I was just observing. Yeah. So I think this does come back to this sort of fundamental debate that we were unpacking in the value of xr is what is the difference between a story and let's let's go into that but i had one thought i don't want to forget um before we move on when i was playing alex and you made me think of this because i was thinking about the zombies and stuff um and i saw that and i was as i was starting to creep through these train cars these like uh subway cars and moving further in and i'm starting to encounter zombies and stuff Mm -hmm. i i had a moment where me myself jay in this experience was like why why am i why why do i want to continue forward Mm. why do i want to keep going like why why are we why are we doing this um and then i i thought about it for a second and was like alex wants to do this because she's trying to get her dad back out um and so i realized oh shit 
This is for Alex. So even though I'm in, I am literally Alex, like I'm playing as Alex, there was a moment there where I, I was just like, I don't necessarily feel like I would want to do this, but it's also because that's not actually my dad. If it was my dad, yeah, I would be all for doing that without a right. question. I would not question it at all. That's like, that right. would seem like the only option. But, but it should make you yeah. feel as much as possible like it is your dad. Yes. Like you should embody that character as much as possible. Now, Half-Life is actually known to have really good storytelling. Yeah. So it's almost, if there is some sort of comparison, it's like, I wouldn't say, it's almost like a bad example of like, if there is some sort of uh, spectrum, Half-Life is on the gaming side that actually happens to have really good story. Yeah. There are a lot of games that don't integrate story whatsoever. Or if, if you want to call story just like, hey, you have a mission to shoot down all the planes that are flying at you, it's like, cool, good story. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so you can have plenty of, uh, so you can have games that like loosely incorporate story and even to the point where like there's or a joke arcs. about it, obviously in the, yeah, arcs um, in, in the gaming industry, like sometimes they'll even like the gameplay stops and then it's like um, Zelda does this, the gameplay yeah. stops and then you have the, the, I forget the name for it, but it's just like the, the filming part. You're just oh, like, watching. Yeah, scene. that happened. Yeah, it, um, it's, it becomes passive for a moment. Right, and, and right. And it gives you context into why you're doing what you're doing. Right, and that can be... So, like, you can intermingle the two, um, and some people complain about that stuff, but the point is that I guess I have a certain goal, which is I want to create powerful experiences, whether that's through VR or other means. Mm. Um, but I, I want to try to learn to tell stories uh, that reveal certain truths to people or that um, have some form of education in them or that are just uh, like create wonder within yeah. people. And I think that that can happen without integrating a lot of, I think that sometimes the competitiveness of games and the uh, forced gameplay or uh, gameplay is maybe not what I'm going for. Like um, yeah. uh, goals sometimes um, or even just giving that person a role in it. Sometimes that detracts from what you're trying to do because actually for me, uh, well, if I'm somebody in the story, like then I'm thinking about myself and I'm thinking about my own actions. Like, yes, I'm Alex, but I'm me. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to forget that I'm me and I'm thinking right. I'm Alex. But it's like, oh, am I am I Kelly doing this right? What is the next thing according to Kelly? Like, right. It, you're how totally, am I feeling about myself? Yeah. And that creates this space in between me and the character, despite how much I am trying to become that character. Like you said, you had this moment of just like, wait, why am I doing this? I had to remind and myself, like, oh, wait, that is my dad. Right. I am Alex. Right. And sometimes when it's actually a third person perspective, you are actually more embodying them than when it is actually you. Because like you're just watching them and you're not worried about yourself. You're you're able to, in a weird way, like just distance yourself from this whole thing. And like you're Kelly does not exist in this world. Yeah. And so like you're you're just you don't actually have to make the decision for them. You're you're like hanging on what they decide exactly. to do for that space. Yeah, and so, so I think there yeah. is like, but it. it I'm not saying that that's what has to be. I'm just saying that there is power to the third person view. There's power to also not having agency, which is like an oxymoron. But that's what I believe, and I think that it's 
nobody has quite figured out, uh, obviously, like people are just figuring it out and there's tons of amazing um, explorations and examples that are out there. Like, I mean, Gloomy Eyes is just one uh, that I mentioned, which are like trying to figure out in this new medium, how do you really tell a story like how would you tell a fairy tale where like mm-hmm. the person doesn't have to have agency it's not a game you oh, wouldn't define it as a game this is awesome um so your experience that you created your museum uh experience yeah. also relates to all of this because you were trying to you had an interactive experience mm-hmm. uh, where you know they were on some rails they couldn't literally do anything they wanted there were guidelines and there was a limited set of options that they could choose from and they weren't necessarily always satisfying but the challenge like when you have a when you have a passive observer sort of experience you're not making the decisions it's not you deciding what to do you are hanging on the decisions of the subject or the the people or whatever it is but in an interactive situation, it's there's a, you have to make the player empathize with they they have to empathize with the they have to believe in the environment. So you can't break verisimilitude. They have to like believe that it's real. And when I had that moment of questioning, would I like why am I continuing forward? This seems really dangerous, and this place seems fucked up. And then I had to. I, I was bumping myself back in by saying like, no, this is your dad you are rescuing. That's why you need to go forward. I was, I was just assisting the game developers a little bit by reminding myself that I am Alex and I am going to believe in this because I need to go rescue my fucking dad. Um, and so I found a way to empathize with it. Maybe if, if, it had been, if I had been even more moved by this, I wouldn't have even had to stop to think about that for a second. Because I would have been like, fuck, whatever is going on here, I just need to get to go find my dad. I've like completely right. removed my identity as a separate person and I am my I, my persona is now Alex entirely. Right. And so there was a little bit of misalignment there that happened for a moment. And when people put themselves in your experience at, um, in that exhibit, they had to try to empathize with uh, this situation enough. It had to be relatable enough to them to put them into that persona without sensing that, you know, the difference between their normal self and themselves right. in this situation. And so that's that, that balance that creates a, a solid narrative in an interactive story or an interactive game that is trying to pull you along. Mm-hmm. Lots of games just don't try to do that. They don't try to get you to believe that you are the thing. Yeah. They, they just, they create mechanics right. that are and- fun. Right. And like in the example of Half-Life Alex, I mean, maybe they needed, maybe they could have spent more time in the beginning actually developing the relationship with the father. Right. I've never even um, met him. You see him right, on the screen I don't know. one time. I haven't played the other Half-Life, so I don't know if you're supposed to know him from those, but. Yeah, that's true. Well, the, I don't know. <sighs> well, either way, they shouldn't rely on that. Well, but, there were, there uh, were two moments. The t- there was the monitor and yeah. then there was when he gets pulled out of his office right in front of you. Right, but I don't care. Yeah, like I, I, I've, I've never like I've had <laughs> like, maybe cool. thirty seconds of interaction with the person. Yeah, that far. Right, uh, and that's not to hate on the game. Like I think totally. Mike Hines brought up in this similar conversation that, like, yeah, I mean, it, wouldn't it be nice to do all of that? But there is no money to invest in all of that. You and similarly, like, <laughs> yeah, like to to tell the whole backstory, you're like, cool. Well, that in itself is like this crazy investment. Yeah, um, and and you're not just like writing on paper. So it is tough and it is a balance. And in the case of the museum exhibit, 
it was intentionally distancing, but what I learned from it is just like how ineffective that can be. Like, mm-hmm. well, if you distance them too much, what is your point? What is your purpose? Because if they're not going to let it register at all, then you're not um, connecting them to right. the yeah. space. So which yeah. kind of negates the whole intent of the creation right. of that experience. So like it has to yeah. be relatable for them to empathize. Right. You have to well, you have to create relatability. I mean uh, you have it, to find those th- those notes of relatability or or to build it up so that you feel like you are that character and yeah. to some extent like there is a different version of you that is that character i it's it's a it's a it's a balance between things that are relatable and comfortable meaning like acceptable and then things that are not but maybe are what are going to change and flex this person's view so if you introduce too much of the uncomfortable or too much of the non-relatable things at a time you overwhelm them and they it's not pleasant or they're not they don't want to be there anymore they feel they feel broken from that persona or that that perspective right um Mm -hmm. so making that actually effective to to change people over time is the same underlying balancing act and dynamic in your museum exhibit in like warming them into that persona so mm-hmm. that they understand why it matters, why anything in that space matters to that persona. And in the course, in the, in the case of Half-Life with Alex, probably going through the backstory and playing the other games and the storylines would add more context and would make me more empathetic yeah. to the circumstance because it would have been more time spent getting to know these characters. And so I would be more, I, there would just, there would be more relatable content in my memory in my association to like pack on to that, that scene and give more momentum and weight to it. Yeah. And it's interesting because what you just said made me think of one of my favorite books ever is the book Pachinko. And I shared it with a friend Mm. and she was like, she was like, yeah, I just didn't find the characters relatable. And I was like, or she, she didn't find them believable. And I was like, what? Like it was like a dagger (laughs) to my heart, to be honest, because this was a good friend of mine. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like, how is it possible where it feels odd sometimes? (laughs) I think when you, when you share something with somebody and they have a totally different experience and you're just like, whoa, like we've all had that happen with Mm -hmm. movies. We were like, this is my favorite movie ever. They're like, yeah, I just like thought it was contrived. And you're just like, sweet. I don't actually want to be friends with you anymore. (laughs) I don't like you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Why are we friends? (laughs) But I mean, it just makes me wonder, I'd, I'd almost love to somehow find a way to dig into like, what about it wasn't believable? And why was yeah. it believable to me? And why wasn't it believable to her? And was that because like, I really connected with something that happened in the book, and that did happen to me, and that didn't happen to her. And so like, at some point, not everything can be relatable. Not everything is universal. Right. Because everybody has different experiences. So like certain elements within that story stuck out to her as like, no, that doesn't make sense. Or like, no, that doesn't seem right. And enough of those things piled up that she just stopped paying attention to the other aspects of the story. Right, and maybe they all fed into one another, yeah. But I mean, everything, like, not everything is built for everyone. It's like we're talking about with these games and different uh, player types with the games. Uh, The whole point is that there's going to be unique types of people that connect with something that others don't connect with. So and the whole point yeah. as the author is to like maybe just find people that connect with that story. You it needs to you need to be able to imagine yourself into that position. 
and you can't break the imagination or the verisimilitude. Yeah. Because that's when they that's when they lose interest. That's when they feel like things don't fit anymore. Yeah, I imagine I, so I'm reading Stephen King's The Stand and I've actually never read Stephen King before, but he in The Stand which side note is like a 47 hour fucking audiobook so <laughs> you've been going through this with your that's dad what i'll right? be doing for the rest of the year yeah my dad and i are reading it um i thought it would be cool to connect with him over quarantine and now i'm like why did i do this to myself <laughs> 47 um, hours and i think he's feeling the same time. way yeah, yeah he's ahead of me anyways i know i'm like wow i'm 17 hours in and i still have more <laughs> more than half <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> he has a lot of characters. Like, so far, I wouldn't identify mm-hmm. with any of his characters. Really? Uh, there is There is one um, kind, like, uh, deaf guy that I'm, like, that's the closest I've ever felt to being, like, oh, I like that character, and, like, <laughs> I want him to be the main character. But this is, like, a... This is like a giant ensemble. Yeah. There is no main character. It's all about these different lives that are happening during a, a virus killing 99% of the population because that's what I want to read during quarantine, right. apparently. <laughs> um, so, uh, but like, it's all these crazy characters that I would never identify with, but they're all super believable to me. And like, when I'm in the mindset, he has a way of making me nearly in that person's mindset, even though it's like the complete opposite of my own character. Um, what is th- and so, what is it that he's doing? Or like, what is it about those characters that makes them believable to you versus relatable? I mean, like what makes I, what makes sense? I don't have a, about them. a quick answer because I feel like it would take studying Stephen King, which honestly, I'm just kind of consuming it now. But yeah. I mean, at first glance, I feel like he really gets in the mindset of his characters and, and talks in a way that makes it feel like you're in their head and you're like allowed into their head and you accept that invitation and you allow yourself to be that different person momentarily. And then you allow yourself to hop into So he like invites you in and does like a really good job of getting you into that mentality of like, sets like a mental stage. Of that yeah. person, and yeah. it's a, it, it give, basically gives you enough context of that person that you're like, totally. okay, this makes sense. Yeah. This makes sense given this completely new, weird context to me, but I've got enough now to go off of. Right, like whether it's the facts that he provides or literally just the, ling- what, the language he writes in, mm-hmm. it's like in the mindset of that person. It's not like, oh, here's this third person being like, well, Larry was a musician, and um, he was uh, quite difficult to get along with. Like, it's not that. It's like, you know, you're in Larry's head, and Larry's yeah. just, like, fucking hungover, and um, he has this popular <laughs> song that's always playing on the radio, and he, like, can't stand himself, and he has to, like, you know, it's, yeah. it's you're in, you're you are them. He just so, keeps, it's like, he's a little, he's a little butterfly that flits between people's brains. So there's, there are, there are elements in the description that you just gave that are human relatable or I, I don't even want to say human relatable. They are like rational or they're thinking being relatable, meaning that it's a relatable concept to have something that you output or that you created, uh, 
shown back to you later on and it pisses you off because you see the imperfections in it or you find things in it to dislike. So when you said that there was a song playing on the radio that, that just infuriated him, yeah. that seems like a very relatable thing. Not that... Yeah. I mean, I've I've done that, I, but I've recorded music in the past. So like, I directly relate with that, even though I haven't necessarily gone on like drunken brawls because of that situation. I haven't been in Larry's situation exactly. But there's an element there that makes sense to me that like yeah. connects together. And so he already starts to become a more believable character. Right. Yeah. I don't even know where to go with that. I mean, all of this coming back to, uh, I do want to come back to like, what is the value of VR? Because I, I mean, my point was with all of that, that I gravitate towards, like, I absolutely love books. I love reading. Mm. And I also love historical fiction, like really good historical fiction, which has this combination of educating me on his history while making it like totally compelling. You see, and yeah, you have this context that outside of the book that there's a huge part of it that's actually real. For sure. So you like already I just finished, start from a, a solid base. Yeah. Like I just finished that book Disoriental I was telling you about mm. and it's all about the Iranian revolution. And I was oh. like, holy shit, there's so much I didn't know about that. And it's so, it just like expands my brain. And then suddenly I have a million more questions, uh, yeah. especially obviously growing up in the time frame that we have, which was very heavily influenced by the Middle East mm -hmm. and like the media was telling us a certain story of the Middle East yeah. and we just generalize and that's it. Um, even if we're well-educated, like our history books didn't really address it. Um, yeah. and yeah. our teachers weren't really probably told to teach it. Uh, anyways, yeah, I'm I mean, go going off a yeah. tangent, but the point is I like absolutely love education. I love storytelling. I love the two combined. I'm generally really passionate about trying to figure out a way to do that. Um, I was, uh, really surprised by VR and had this like gut feel that I wanted to do something with it. And a lot of the experiences that I had when it started were these crazy kind of like I told you about that like in flight experience mm -hmm. where um or take flight which is just like it's not even a story you just like lift into the air and it's this like sense of wonder when you're yeah. just like floating around in the air and um but I liked that because again it didn't require me to do anything I was just kind of like it just allowed this space where this magic could happen and I could just like observe and feel it mm -hmm. without necessarily like having a goal and um so i do like games uh but i think what i lean toward is not really the game side um and it's like what maybe there's interaction but only in the sense if that interaction will uh tell the story or, or help you embody somebody better well you're okay um, so you're not you're not approaching it from the perspective of wanting to play um so much as you are wanting to you're you are you are pursuing that desire to expand your your perspective your mind like to learn about somebody else or some other view and so if it's yeah if it's a if it's a story where you where you if it's a story where you feel like you have stepped into a character even if you're not controlling them you are just observing the world from their eyes whether it's this stephen king book um, you're seeing the perspective of a person that you never would have related to before, but it makes sense to you. And suddenly you're able to embody a different, mm -hmm. like an entirely different person. And you've expanded for that. 
Like you've, you have yeah. learned a new perspective. Yeah. That whole fulfillment yeah. situation. And it, comparing this back to, to Alex, um, it, it always has felt like the, the power of XR at least is that when done right, when you get past all of these like weird technical quirks and hurdles that we've been trying to figure out as an industry for the past five, 10 years, 30 years, 60, however long you want to go back in the history of all of this. Um, and you actually focus on the content of the, the narrative and the space that you are trying to put your, your player, your experiencer in, um, you can very quickly give someone a lot of context like you can very quickly drop them into this flying sort of experience and they believe it. And so suddenly they have a new perspective and they didn't have to spend a while reading books about what it's like to fly in order to be able to imagine that. Suddenly they've just been like imbued with the imagination of flying. In the case of Alex, I didn't have to go through the entire history of the Half-Life game. And I'm sure plenty of people would argue that I still should. I think I probably still should as well just to get all the other context. But just within that first set of experiences in the game and like 10 seconds of seeing her dad on that screen and sitting out on that porch as you're looking out over the horizon and being sucked into that world so quickly. Yes, it was enough to make me in fully invested and seeing all this stuff from her perspective and starting to imbue myself into her persona and caring about the things that she cares about. And that changes my perspective and the actions that I would take you I even we we saw that with that moment where I did break out of that perspective for a second and said I would I feel like I should do something different than what this wants me to do but wait a minute oh wait I forgot that this is all to find her dad no actually I do want to do that and so then I get back into her persona again and continue to to stretch in that way mentally and yeah that seems like an underlying thing that you enjoy about this medium in particular, why you were drawn to it, because it does seem powerful in that way. But more broadly, why you're drawn to storytelling, because it does have this educational and like mind expanding power to it. And it's also yeah. why I find all of this fascinating, um, as well as just the, the general interaction, like how do you create evocative interface with these kinds of mediums? Me. Yeah. But. I think that's well put and the mind expanding thing for sure. And I think you can do that through any, any medium. Yeah. Um, and to me, it doesn't have to be VR. I happen to have a special interest in VR, but I mean, I've like done a short film. I, I, I would be happy writing stories. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's so many ways. Um, and I think a lot of people end up limiting themselves, but really like there's so many ways you can try to express things and play around with that. Um, but coming back to like the whole, okay, so why VR? Um, so I keep thinking about what drew me to it in the first place, which was a, a Disney experience and a Disney world. And like going into uh, the one in Epcot that like takes you through, I think it's called like Spaceship Earth and it takes you through history and like in, and and I think like to towards the future that they want or something. And so it was this mix of like a really cool experience that was a ride that also taught me about actual history. Mm. And that was the one that I happened to be on where I was like, oh my God, I had this moment of just like VR could do this. VR could give us this experience in our living rooms or in a classroom. Yeah. And 
I still feel that way. And the question is, though, like, what is it about that? What is it? So ignoring VR, what is it about the ride that did that for me? And like, when I think about the ride, the first thing that comes to mind is something like, uh, you it is I mean as much as we overuse the word it is the immersion it's like you enter a dark tunnel like you buckle in and you prep and then you're like okay I'm gonna go in whether that's like a roller coaster mm-hmm. that's gonna be scary or something else and it's like it'll have this whole like prep thing which will be like okay you know they always have Disney always does such a good job <laughs> you know they'll be like you're now entering the blah 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 like that like they the have made it a point yeah. to make it you've entered the experience as soon as you pass the sign outside. Like as soon as you're entering that building before you've entered the ride, the people who work there, everything is about immersion. Mm. And, um, and then when you're in the ride, it's like true immersion. It's these like you're on water or on rails and uh, there are these, you know, darkness around you and these lit up figures or animatrons. And it's just like, holy shit, it's so fucking cool. I mean, when else do you experience that shit? You know, like you get it out of, you get it out of video games a little, but like, when are you actually fucking moving on a ride and your stomach can drop and you can like look around and you're surrounded by the whole thing and you're on the Pirates of the Caribbean and you, you don't even know which way to look. And then you look one way and then uh, you pass and you can look backwards and there's like pirates on a ship firing stuff at you. It's just like that, that feeling um, of just like, it's, I had written down some words that came to mind, which is like absolute immersion. So like there's immersion in a lot of things, but the absolute part of it is like when, when you, you literally like feel like you can't escape it. Like you're fucking in it. Yeah. You're either there or (laughs) like it's either either an a story that you can step out of. You can decide to, to, to disbelieve. Right. Or you're actually in it. Right. Like the with reality. a video game, there's the screen in between you. With a book, there's the book. But like that full, uh, like you can get distracted in a video game or a book just by like your your cat. You know what I mean? Or like somebody talking to yeah. you. And it's like with VR, it's the closest to absolute immersion or like unbroken immersion. It's the, it's you the have less, a sense of like. The more immersion, the less vectors you can be distracted from. Like it, it's just removing right. things that can distract you. If you have peripheral right. vision because you're playing a video game, you can be distracted by things around you. Right. If you're in VR, it takes that all away. So like you no longer have that outside visual stimulus at least. Then we're still working through like the physical aspects of figuring out how to distract you from the fact that your body's not actually right, there. That, like there is a disconnect there. Yeah. yeah. So like Which it's is, just overcoming yeah. each of those sensory vectors by which you can be taken out of the situation right which is why actually with those disney rides it's like you could argue even more immersive than vr totally because you can just like move around and um granted you don't tend to always have like agency with things or whatever but there is um there is a sense of like you're you're totally embodied in yourself so um, you are the character you, you know, have you just, enough context yeah, you are the for character. you <laughs> you are kelly yeah yeah you're jay silvis and you are on this pirate boat like you don't need to pretend to be somebody else you are the pirate but you can even and, dis you can disbelieve in that that's true it requires good storytelling like i'm not arguing with that i mean you can Disney say does a particularly good job <laughs> you can have a really shitty ride that's like yeah just not doing a good job of it but i'm saying it enables it is right. a platform that enables that that strength of storytelling or immersion now the other things i had written down were like there's um 
things that you don't get in video games or other other mediums are like scale, which we've talked about mm. proximity for the most part. Yeah. Like when something's really close to you, uh, something's much taller than you, a sense of space, I, it, um, I like think, spatial spatial awareness. I think the space it is what causes both of those effects. Is yeah, you've, yeah. You, you have that three-dimensional space around you, and so you actually feel the scale of things you 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 feel the distance between things all of a sudden and that makes everything feel very large or far away or close in proximity um yeah which is you know yeah yeah. and then there was another one which is obviously just motion Mm -hmm. like you can't you you can have your stomach drop you know i mean to the point where it literally makes you motion sick and that's a problem um now one thing as i was talking about all of that i was thinking about uh sleep no more that um immersive theater in new york and um if you don't know it i mean it's it's immersive theater but it's literally like a it's like a giant hotel (laughs) and you they take up a bunch of floors and you like go on the elevator and you enter and there's like the same thing I was just talking about, there's a bar w- with your waiting area to be called into the experience. That whole bar is like a twenties bar. And, oh. um, you're in like everyone who's serving you is dressed up that way. Everyone's acting a certain part. So as soon as you enter, even just the waiting area of this, you are already in the experience and then you are so given like masks and then it, uh, it frames. Right. It. And then it, exactly. And then as soon as you get called in, so you have to wear a mask, which means you mm-hmm. can't, um, nobody can see you. You can't even, and you're encouraged to not stick with your friends or your loved ones. Oh, okay. And so you're, you're encouraged to actually separate, to have a good experience. You can't see anybody else. Like you're all just wearing, wearing these masks. And, um, and then the first thing that happens when you enter is you go through what feels like an eternal dark tunnel Yeah. and it's like pitch black. You, you, you can't fucking see anything mm-hmm. like wh- what's ahead of you. It feels almost like a horror game. And I'm like, I was like, shit, what am I, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. And it, nothing happens. There's no like jump scares. Uh, but it, it totally like the person who designed that was like sending you through the portal. Yeah. They're like, leave your life behind. You are now in a different world. And they started it with the waiting room and then they made sure of it as you entered through that long, dark tunnel and then emerged into this like twenties kind of weird haunted hotel situation. And they took away the other people because any, any sort of connection to your normal self would remind you, it would disconnect you from that. Your very similitude. Exactly. Yeah. So, So, so like all of that coming to, I mean, what do I love about VR? All those fucking things. Like there's just, it's, it's, it's not going to replace everything. We've already said this a million times. It's just another option, but the things that you can do with all of those feelings and like the feeling and excitement I get of going into one of those experiences, like at a Disney world or at a sleep no more is just like, it gives me like butterflies in my heart. You know, it's just like such a cool, immersive experience. And when, um, I sent you gloomy eyes. You haven't watched it yet, but even with that game. So there's like a couple of scenes where you're surrounded by snowflakes Mm -hmm. um, and things like that, whether it's like magical light or rays of light or snowflakes or something like that. It gives you this crazy surrounding sense of wonder that you feel like you've said when you're out looking at nature, that's hard to describe. Like you can't, you can Aww. write about it. You can take a picture of it. You can, um, you can, you know, create a movie about it or something like that. Nothing is the same as actually experiencing it yourself, and that's what VR feels like. And that's why it's hard 
for people to describe it. Right. Uh, because it's just like saying, well, what is it like to stand at the top of that mountain? Like, dude, nothing can describe that feeling. Uh, I can try, but you just have to do it yourself. It's kind of, it's transportive. Whereas. Yeah. Many, and like transformative. Yeah. Many, well, me, well yeah. many mediums are transformative. And that's true. And if yeah. you, yeah. if you try hard enough, you can, you can f- mentally put yourself in a state and feel like you're flying through clouds. Um, or you're climbing mountains or whatever, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of focus and intent. Whereas if you want somebody to experience that, just put them in a headset and all of a sudden they will experience that. Um, and they will experience mm-hmm. it until they take it off. And so that it's like, it is, it is real time visceral. Um, and it is not, it doesn't necessarily take the, uh, the amount of, of, intentional effort or the amount of intentional belief in order to have an experience that feels believable or that feels real but obviously as long as all of those other things we've talked about are are done well um, right yeah to, you know they're yeah. not distracting you from the experience but um yeah yeah it's just it's it's powerful from that perspective and it again i think it comes back to that it's it removes the barrier to entry for having a, mm-hmm. a real-time believable, believable experience, a, a visceral experience. It's not that it just makes people empathetic. That's a separate thing. Mm-hmm. Like the empathy is a separate element from VR. Empathy yeah. is about the content that they're experiencing. Yeah, I don't know. How... As we've talked about, I'm like, I just want to wipe that word from <laughs> everyone's mouth. <laughs> Slap it. <laughs> Slap it out of their mouths. Yeah, it, it, it's so, like, it's, yeah. it's more it embodies them, but like you can find yourself in, an, in a, you can find yourself involuntarily embodying something that makes you really uncomfortable and not empathetic at all. Do what I did in the do what I did in the museum experience and do the opposite. They're like, I don't empathize with yeah, this. Yeah, like I like, feel like I'm there, but I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, like I am doing the opposite of empathizing. <laughs> That's such a good lesson, though. This is awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess, like, to close out my side of it what you're talking about is like, Oh, and you also have to do all those other things. Right. And it's like, yes, those are the, the traditional. What are those things? Yeah. Well, what are the things you need to do and how do you best tell that story and how, what are the techniques of VR? Because I feel like we're still learning with video totally. games, what techniques you can use. Like film has matured more books have matured more video games haven't matured, but they're there. And like VR is taking a lot from video games. Yeah. But like, it's there's the, it's something the interactivity that there that are, is common, right? That, right, exactly. But I feel like there is so much to learn and to explore and figure out about how, what techniques you can use to tell the best story and to figure out how to create powerful experiences in VR that are pulling from all of those mediums and discovering your own ways. And that's for some reason I just have this like crazy interest in that, yeah. and I just kind of want to fucking figure it out. Yep. No, I mean, I share that, I share that like down to the core. Um, I don't know how we we kind of came together on this whole thing, but it's, it's just exploring the space of what is possible in like creating a, a a world that is believable for someone to be dropped into, um, that stretches their mind that like, that makes you feel embodied in things and a part of events and, and places that you would never be able to be in otherwise, um, which is why VR became so fascinating from that perspective, but also why I've always been interested in storytelling, um, whether that was like creative writing or or taking someone 
um, into another space through music um, because that was always something that was incredibly evocative to me personally. Totally. Um, yeah. Because you can take somebody on a journey, you can put them in their own head, but you have to do it right. Like you have to introduce them through an arc and, and building empathy in somebody is also a delicate balance of, of pulling someone through an arc, a gradual introduction of, of new elements that are at once believable and also just uncomfortable enough that you're starting to stretch their mind a little bit uh, to start to believe this new space without breaking their belief in it entirely. Um, and <laughs> creating more things in that space, creating more things that, uh, like yeah. tr exploring ideas and, and stories in those kinds of settings and things like, um, I, I always come back to the interaction part because I'm, I'm really interested in things like how do we take the existing space that we have, like my physical house, um, and, and have that, have some sort of experience that a person can jump into in VR map to their space and then creatively make use of their space to create a new sort of virtual environment, but they can actually physically walk through it because the headset has awareness that the, whatever tech that they are using has awareness of the space they're moving through, but then mm -hmm. making the real world, essentially your canvas in some sense and creating experiences that pull them in and that are believable within that space. Yeah. Um, that and then characters that are, that are believably dynamic and real. Um, so like, if you're going to create all these different things in VR, what do like what goes into creating a a a person a persona that is virtual that really pulls on your strings and like really ties into your very human emotions and makes you believe and value and really become attached to that that character? That person, I think that's why the virtual intimacy side of things is so interesting as well, because um, that really plays down to some like fundamental aspects of our nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had a conversation about this months ago, I think, um, just kind of brainstorming on some different ideas where we were talking about um, what, like, an idea around creating some sort of experience where there's an animal um, or you embody an animal. And there are there mm -hmm. are games that I've played that were so good. Uh, where you, I can't remember the name exactly. It's on Steam. Uh, maybe I'll think of it while we're talking about it. But you embodied a bobcat um, who was trying to rear young, and so you're it's third person, but you're kind of running through this painterly sort of landscape and just trying to survive and gather food and things. And then she she finds a mate and she has cubs, and then you're you're trying to take care of your cubs. And at some point, I end up losing my cubs through different events, whether it's wild animals attacking what? me or one of them getting lost or not being able to find no. enough food. And I, but I was so invested in it. I was so in, yeah. I, like I was oh this God. bobcat. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I, I felt it like losing my cubs and, and, and her just myself as that bobcat being distraught and just, uh, on the ground in her den, um, after, after losing all of her offspring. So like those kinds of <laughs> just experiences like that that really pull people. I think that is that is something that the technological canvas is interesting to me for. 
Um, but yeah. uh, even writing then is something from that perspective that you you get to paint a picture for someone or yeah. a world for them to step into. You just said technological canvas, and it reminded me that there's this quote uh, from Will Wright, uh, the designer of Sims. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, people talk about how games don't have the emotional impact of movies. I think they do. They just have a different palette. I never felt pride or guilt watching a movie. Oh, oh that's interesting because those are things that they have to do with your decisions that you made and reflecting upon your choices, mm -hmm. which you don't. Do you do that in a movie ever? Like you don't get uh, to decide where the, maybe you feel, you feel pity for, or you feel ashamed of the, what somebody in the movie did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting because you can feel sadness for sure. And you can, you can feel, like on their behalf, sadness on their behalf. There are definitely ones where they feel cringy, like embarrassing, it, yeah, it's where you can't like get away from it. Yeah, embarrassment or that like, yeah. Uh, but guilt or pride are interesting feelings that he selected from yes. because I don't know if I've ever felt guilty because probably when that happens, I'm like, oh, I'm not that character. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Pride, I have. Uh, You've never felt proud. From a movie? Yeah, you've never felt proud of the actions of a character or like something that a character did or they overcame or like they they grew somehow through the movie or through the the series of events. Well, pride is like that you instilled something in them that did that. Like I I think we use the word proud a lot that not necessarily in its true yeah, meaning, they're right? They probably it, they feel like two separate things. There's one you can be you can be proud of what somebody else did and accomplished. And then you can also be, Hmm. I don't know. So, you, you can attribute, like you can imagine that you were encouraging them in your own way as you're watching, like you can be rooting for this person right. and then you can be really proud that they managed to do the thing and you've been supporting them this whole time. You were, you supporting them gave you some sort of agency as you observed them and then they succeeded. And so you feel proud that they succeeded. Does that? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think it makes sense. Um, and that comes back to like, well, maybe he, maybe we can reword his to just feel like that the sense of, of pride, guilt, achievement. It's closer um, to home when it's not some other character that you're. Right. Like, I wonder if, I don't know. I, I would have to try it myself, but like watching a bobcat lose their young versus uh, uh, doing it myself. It's, I don't know what the difference in my feelings would be. It's definitely different. I feel like I have seen it on National Geographic or like. Right. You know. That's not to say that it wouldn't totally disturb yeah. me and be absolutely awful on on TV, but. Uh, but you feel, but yeah. you feel that. You made choices like there's there's definitely a difference between following along with a mother and her young on a on a documentary for a while and yeah. seeing her lose her children versus you making all these yeah. decisions over time and then losing your own children. And you you're not projecting that feeling on somebody else. It's you feeling your own choices impacts. Right, right. It's like, <laughs> of course, I relate literally everything to Twilight. <laughs> 
but uh, that's your Minecraft. It's in okay. in book two, yeah, but yeah, Twilight <laughs> is my Minecraft. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's like in book two, Edward disappears, and for, for such a long time, and I was so sad about that, and like so frustrated on behalf of uh, Bella. Mm, I remember and, that. Oh, I yeah. remember oh, yeah, having the same them. the same reaction and like Oh, I was totally distraught. Yes. But I wonder I wonder what would have happened if it's like, oh, I I did these actions and now he's gone. And it's like I would have wondered, shit, what if I had done something different? Like like just that immediate feeling of like regret and and wonder of like how could i make yeah. different choices because it was it's the same way we feel in our own it lives was, it was like you sh- you could have done something different like why didn't you do something different bella like why did you do that versus saying right. like why yeah. the hell did i do that <laughs> yeah but i guess i i think this actually comes down to a fundamental nature of human psychology that we 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 envision ourselves so, like, you personify yourself as a separate entity. And that's, like, our unique mm-hmm. ability. It seems to be among yeah. animals because you can say, why did I do that? And even though you're saying I, you know you're talking about you as in Kelly. But really, that is, like, conscious you talking about a different past self. A past you. Yeah. And then you can imagine, like, what future you is doing. Yeah. It's interesting. You could say, why did I do that then? Because me now would do something very different. Me now is different from me then. We are now two separate yeah. people because I disagree with my previous choice. Totally. I feel that ah! every day. <laughs> I get so <laughs> mad at my past self. Like, I think I was a real asshole sometimes <laughs> in high school. And I, like, want so bad. It's like I wouldn't I wouldn't change things. Well, I, you know, there's that whole idea of, like, well, if I change things, then I wouldn't live the life I currently live. And I'm a very happy right. person. But there no, is just, that that's frustra- just us rationalizing our mistakes. Right, I guess. <laughs> but it's like that well, frustration we can't, we can't of like, a- God, I wish I could be me now, but then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then five minutes from now, you would wish the same thing again for now. Probably. Like I'm we're just stuck. I'll, I'll be thinking that when I edit this. I'm like, wow, I wish I was not that person. Then <laughs> I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah. Or God, why did I ramble yeah. on for two hours about that shit? <laughs> Uh, speaking of rambling, um, so, okay, so going back to you, um, so, so you like, so I, I know you pretty well, obviously, but I get the sense, like, I've, I've talked to you about how I think that you, you're fascinated by what I called like human interaction. So like how humans interact with the world, how humans interact with games, how humans interact with each other and with stories. Their selves. Yeah. And with themselves or with their environment. Um, but you also love the storytelling aspect and like you went to school for game design, uh, Mm. for a portion of time and what, what, I mean, that's obviously a lot of different things and I, I identify with that. Like there are so many things I want, but do you feel like there is one main thing that drives you or like one thing on your deathbed where you'd be like, I'd be really proud if I, if I could say I did these things or generally created this feeling or discovered X, Y, Z. You're asking me birthday questions. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, God, that is, it's such these a, these are called deathbed questions. De- yeah. Death, your death, your, your, your death your, day your death questions. Day questions. <laughs> next podcast that those are my favorite i like (laughs) the day you die (laughs) 
Honestly, I would love that. Do you imagine how many people yeah. don't choose not to ask themselves that on a daily basis? And it's like, oh, but so many people don't think like they don't want to think about. Right, they just need a recording that. that they could listen to all the time. Yeah, reminding them. If I, oh, gosh, if there, I, I I'm gonna have a hard time identifying a super specific thing, but That's I can okay. just, speak more to the. If there were, it's if not there an were easy question. Could, just work your way yeah. through it. Yeah. I, I am. Yeah. Just, Jay, just fucking work um, with me here, okay? Hi. <laughs> so if there was, if there were things that I would want to be able to say on my deathbed, they would probably, it would have to be around just like I, I put all of my, as much of my creative energy as I could muster into um, understanding how people interface, interact with the world and how all these different aspects play together um because it's always the it's always those different nodes in like a system it's always the different people in a group um and the dynamic between them and that's why games are always really interesting is because it is all of these different interacting elements and the behaviors and things you can observe that happen and emerge from that that sort of complex space people are incredibly complex and i feel like the thing that is most fascinating to me about it is just the ability to imagine entire worlds and universes and personas that are not you at all, or at least are not the you that's imagining the thing. So I would love to be able to look back and and say that I spent as much time as possible trying to cultivate and and create with that energy that that like infinite imaginative force that we all have in some capacity regardless of how much we have unlocked it or figured out how to uh to empower that part of ourselves. So like I feel like everything I've been doing um for my whole life, as far back as I can remember, caring about this is to try to unlock more of that creative potential and to construct and 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 shape more of those worlds. Whether that was creating music and a composition that that created an an oral space, um, or writing a, a story that that painted a picture of a world of of people in it, of of things happening and events. Um, that that felt real that you could immerse yourself in and feel like you had transcended somewhere else and it's it's like all around taking that that uh, that central self and transporting it somewhere else hmm. yeah <laughs> i I feel like that's that's really what it comes down to it's any time that anything that I can do to to transport myself or other people into a space and share that because I I do really care about bringing other people into those those mental spaces yeah. as well or those experiences. Yeah, and it makes so much sense why you love researching about cognitive things and like how the brain works because the more you understand how it's manipulated, the more you then have the power to manipulate it or to try to get it into a certain world or position. Empower it. Right. Yeah. And music is always fascinating to me. It's like nothing. I just think it's the most powerful thing in so many ways. Like imagine so many movies or experiences without music. And it's like music is often what gets you, you know, it's, 
it's like if you take something and apply certain music to it and compare it to other music, it, it can create a totally different <laughs> experience. Yeah. Like the same visual scene, you can create a completely different emotional feel. Right. Like it's pretty crazy that. how music can just kind of pull on your heartstrings in a certain way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you could take the same visual space and give it two completely different oral sort of ambiances and, and different musical scoring and create a totally different perception of that space, even though you're seeing the same thing. Yeah. So music and sound has always had a sort of deep, just mysterious connection that way with the emotional perspective yeah. or the emotional lens through which people see a space. Yeah. Earlier today when Mike and I were having that conversation about basic bitches, I'm like having this weird, <laughs> uh, bring it back to that always. Uh, why? Oh, he was talking about, now here my memory goes, but I'm trying to figure it out as I talk. I'm like, he was talking about how there's like white noise, brown noise, mm-hmm. red noise or whatever. And that yeah. was all about like what, uh, because it was about like chaos and how, and and what sounds, what patterns or predictability, like that balance between surprise and predictability that we like. Mm-hmm. Um, because if it's completely unpredictable, it becomes chaos and that's like white no, noise. Right. Yeah, there's, there's no information contained within right. completely. But we like certain era. patterns and mm. that's a predictability thing, element. And... And so the best is like apparently brown noise, which has like that right combination for humans, seemingly. That's what he was saying. I haven't looked up any of this on my own, to be honest with you, but I I thought maybe you would know. Um, But the point is like music applies to all of this for sure. Uh, And and it's funny that it came back to the basic bitch conversation. That's really all I wanted to do is just come back to that. (laughs) Um, But... uh, but I guess I guess it's just like with humans, like if you envision a human as a musical element, a basic bitch would be like a certain <laughs> a, a certain color. I don't know which one in these. Like I didn't do, you know, I didn't study this at all. Um, it's completely orderly, right? It's and then like the opposite expect. would be like, well, we don't want constant surprise. That's like white noise where we're like, cool. At some point, you just like glaze over. I think yeah, Mike, there's nothing to hold on to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Mike said, like, watching, you know, Static or or uh, what's it called, the like, on the TV. Um, I mean, this doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the ants. The ant screen or, like, the blizzard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you're just like, cool, what's going to happen next? You know, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that really big one just did a thing to the other one. They yeah, start yeah, imagining yeah. things. Right, it? yeah. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, uh, that stuff is is pretty fascinating and music is a language of its own. And actually, that kind of brings me back to language like... Language is fascinating. Yes. This is language. something that Ugh. I think you and I... It's funny because I did this this like kind of journaling thing recently and I forgot mm-hmm. to pull it up. I meant to actually look through it uh, before we talked about some of these things. But, um, but I remember it like uh, one of the conclusions that came from it is how, how fascinated I am with communication or or the lack of communication like i really love thinking about what people don't say or what they have mm. trouble communicating with people right 
And that fascinates me. I really, uh, I, I kind of like when I think about if I were at the end of my life, I have this like mix between like, I like producing and being the business person, but I also like the storytelling and creative aspect. And for the creative, I think like, well, if I wanted to bring any type of story to life, it's like about the things that are not said. Um, yeah. It's like trying to bring that that element of a story to the forefront, which is and and the reason I want to do that, like the reason you want to create art around that is because we don't have a language that really encapsulates some of these things. So it's it is the it's the dynamics and things that are outside the bounds of language or the outside the bounds of what you can articulate. Right. Because yeah. it's the things that are feeling, it's the things that are well, sound. Of, the, of like the English language, I'll say, or like human language, because you can also consider communication or, or art being a language in itself or a form of communication, right? Yeah, but not something like you, you can't, it's hard to write down a painting. Right. Like you can't, well, that's why it's just a different yeah. form of communicating something. It's just different information. Yeah. Right. And that actually relates directly to the VR stuff because it's like, it's just communicating something that doesn't necessarily need to be uh, like all of these things, whether, you know, all med- medias and mediums are, are forms of, of communication in some ways. Um, and yes, they can just be like kind of fun stuff. That's not really communicating anything for sure. Uh, but, but I think what you and I, really like we love language i know i think we talked about language theory a lot like when we first we hung out and i like yeah. wanted <laughs> honestly i wish i could just like study language theory all the time um yeah. but uh but i think that's all related it's like how do humans interact it's through communication and through language but that is not just uh the spoken language there are other languages body mm. language um language through different forms of art and uh i think that all filters into like what you you seem to be fascinated by and also what you and I connect in. Totally. I mean, it's language is a formal way of interacting with other people or like communicating an intent with other people, but like our body language and everything else that we do unconsciously or that is not articulated all kind of ties into that. Yeah. But it, it's, it, I think it's interesting because it, it just, it comes down to like a, it one it's, it shapes how we think about things so much. Um, I, I feel like a lot of what I find about or fascinating about language is that um, it has such a profound effect on the way that people perceive things. For instance, a lot of our conversations circle around trying to find a good word to describe something, and we can't really process the concept well until we have established the same language or word around that concept. Maybe there's something that is too abstract or maybe it's mismatched. And so we're thinking of different things. And so it's all matching up that concept. That's so interesting because in this whole, that, that whole group where uh, like Kim and Mike and me were hanging out a lot, mm-hmm. um, one of the unique sort of uh, things that brought the three of us together repeatedly was this idea of trying to converge around a universal translator. Yeah. Um, or or some sort of bridge between people that had cultural differences and experiential differences in their backgrounds and their life they've lived um, and between different languages. If you had some sort of way to communicate between those people that they all could, in some roundabout way, come to the same, they could all relate to from their own point of standing, from their own perspective. Stories 
or experiences, like putting someone through an experience and placing them in the world and having them go through all those things are a sort of common language in themselves. And so stories and settings feel like a universal translator in a way. And like that is an ultimate goal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because, yeah, I I mean, I totally agree. I feel like, and, and the more we can communicate I mean, wouldn't that make us all happier if we can understand each other better, right? Aren't a mm. lot of our uh, anger and, and uh, poor decisions, discriminations just around like not understanding each other fully? Yeah, it's all, it's all misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah. And, and even with stories, it can be hard. Like the book I just read about the Iranian Revolution, it was translated from French. And oh. well, they, they did speak or. French had a heavy influence on the modern Persian language. So. Right. Well, I, well, I yeah. mean, it was written in French and translated mm. to English because like the person okay. uh, who this story, I mean, it's it's based on a true story and she had, um, you know, had to escape to France. So, yeah, huge mm. connections there. Um, but uh, but even that, that, like somebody has to choose to translate that so that I can read that story, which right. made me think even more like a lot of people who experienced the Iranian Revolution move to France or other surrounding countries. So when they write a story about their experience, I'm either not going to hear it or Mm. somebody needs to decide to translate that to my language. And then when they translate it to my language, it's not necessarily going to like, like I could decide that I'm not sure if I like the author, is it that I don't like the translator or is it that the colloquialisms are slightly different and I feel like they're using Mm -hmm. weird examples or using words in a strange way. Um, So yeah, communication and translation is hard. And I just feel like all this, the more we can work to find ways to communicate, the better. So all of that sparked a a thought or an idea. I, I spent a year studying Persian and had like five or six Persian nationals that were our teachers. And so it was like a complete immersion course. It was in Monterey, California for a good period of time doing that. Um, so I gained an empathy for Persian culture in general. Yeah. And like kind of internalized a bit of an identity. Speaking Persian, well. by the way, means speaking Farsi, right? There's different kinds of Farsi. There's Persian Farsi, which is a, a dialect of okay. Farsi. Got it. Okay. There's also like uh, Afghan Farsi and... Kurdish is closely related to it. There's a bunch of different languages in that okay. region. That, um, it's not Arabic. It's very different from Arabic, even though it shares a lot of the like word roots. Totally. And that just has to yeah, do with the yeah, history. Yeah. Um, and conquests that happened and there over time. Unbeknownst to a lot of people who probably think that all of the yeah. Middle East is Arabic. But yes. go on. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I had no context on all of that before I studied. Totally, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and got immersed in it for a year and, either. So yeah. I totally get it. Um, but you were talking through that, and I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if take the Iranian Revolution, for instance, and just what it would be like to go through that? Um, say your intent is to to communicate to a broader audience what it was like for all, like what it feels like to be someone living in Iran now that went through that and ended up in a country that is very different from when they grew up and may or may not be the world that they necessarily wanted to end up in now. And you you want them to empathize with that perspective, but they have no relation to this setting. They have no relation to the people or the culture. Maybe they have a lot of preconceived notions that make them very resistant mm-hmm. to feeling any relation to that and becoming and empathizing with that position. So 
you can you could use any sort of medium, whether it's a story, uh, like a like a written story, or you could maybe maybe you could do this through a song that would be very hard because it's more limited. But each of those different mediums has their own sort of challenges in order to accomplish that. But say you did something like you created an immersive experience in VR, for instance, um, and it had nothing to do with that setting, but it's a similar set of dynamics. Um, there's a similar sort of upheaval happening and you create parallels almost, but that are relatable to a wider audience. And then somehow towards the end of this or by the end of this experience, you draw that correlation for them. You mm. like basically smack that idea, uh, that whole experience, all of that they just went through right into the face of this is exactly what all these people in Iran went through. Yeah. And for the first time, they're like, oh, shit, I, I, I have some semblance of what yeah. that was like now. And I never made that, like, I never had that perspective before. And holy shit, now I'm starting to feel a little bit more uh, relatable to, to what they're going through. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that's what people always say when they're like, create sympathy. But, like, that's just how you execute on a story to bring people along for the ride without kicking them off before they get to the end. Right. Yeah. Uh, I love that idea. And I don't know, I fucking love history. And I feel like we have such a limited sense of it, you know, and I think I've told you or even said it on the podcast before about how my like dream project was creating the kind of like encyclopedia ver history edition within mm -hmm. VR, um, where you can like understand like, I think it's really hard within textbooks. Everything is pretty linear within a certain, they'll be like, this is, um, you know, uh, uh, China or Asia uh, circa these years to these years, <laughs> um, 1900 to 1950. And then like, that's its own thing. And then it's like, next chapter, like the US. And it, it like, there's no, like, there's no sense of connection that's right. going it, between It's just it. a list of facts. Right. And it's like, I just want that kind of exploration or discovery to happen, which is like, what I would have wanted to do is the book I just read. Okay, so here I am at this given time, like, like as they're entering the Iranian revolution. And then I would mm. be like, okay, wait, wait, they just mentioned something about like the CIA and the U S like, boom, like teleport in or like, you know, go through that portal into the U S and be like, who's president right now. Um, give me the context of this. Like what's going on. What year is it? Uh, uh, what bands are famous right now? You know, like you just get all this context and then you like bounce back into, uh, Iran and you're like, okay, I get it. You know, like, and now yeah. I'm starting to, to drive these connections and to understand like the U S is, um, position in all of this and to understand the time frame, my, my, yeah. I'm painting this picture. Oh, I think this <sighs> comes back to why you you're, I totally am starting to get why you really enjoy like historical fiction mm. um, because, and why it might be powerful in this respect, because you can, you can take the real setting that may not be as interesting because you as a reader or as a person experiencing this, this setting doesn't, you don't have a potential narrative that you can experience that through that you would have related to you weren't there so you had no part in it but if you do historical fiction you can you can step into the headspaces of people and get the reader or the experiencer to embody a mm -hmm. number of different characters yeah. whether they project themselves into it or whether they're literally taking the agency of that character and suddenly you are now learning about a place just by being there by like mentally 
putting yourself in that space. Right. Like it's there's a total difference between the history of books, which are like bullet point one, like, okay, this year the Shah was overthrown. Bullet point two, like this, the Khomeini took over, blah, blah, blah. Like maybe one to two sentences of context versus like you are the daughter of, in this case, a father who was an intellectual who was um, against the current government. And the thing is that you can't be uh, against the government (laughs) in that uh, that time, in that space. And so... um, you know, he was a, in the, a resistance. And so you're, mm-hmm. you, you are worried for your father and you mm-hmm. you don't quite understand everything. That's okay. But you understand that your father uh, doesn't agree with what's going on and that he's being targeted and that your father is disappearing all the time. And uh, you know that he's trying to basically escape or go undercover essentially uh, because he's, he's now targeted and potentially going to be killed by this government. And then you start mm-hmm. to wonder like, well, what does my father believe and what is this government saying? And, um, and the father writes a letter to the Shah and like, there's this big deal. And then, um, he has to escape and you don't know where he is. And then the family is under attack and you have to escape to France. And it's like, now you're fucking invested. Now you're like, well, what, (laughs) what is going on? Like, what is the deal with the Shah and what does he believe? And why the fuck are we under attack right now? And why can't my dad just write a letter being like opposing what's going on? Freedom Mm. of speech you know i'm american come on and then you're just like oh shit never mind like we can just get killed and then like you know what else doesn't make sense and now i'm just on a tangent but it's like (laughs) the iranian revolution like there is history is so dramatic and somehow books like uh, textbooks and teachers make it fucking boring And I'm like, it is, it is like a fucking like real housewives of Iran situation going on, you know, but like way more, way more sad and dramatic than that. But it's like, it's like, okay, so then the fucking, I know, I I know what I'm doing right now. I know that we need to end this, but I'm just like, I have to finish this because it's crazy. So then like the revolution happens and everyone's like, we want, we don't want the Shah. We don't want this King. Like, um, we're going to overthrow him. We don't want to deal with this anymore. And, um, and then they do that, and then the person that comes into power is the Khomeini, and he turns out ten times worse. So this Khomeini is like, I'm going to make everyone better, like this is all going to be happy, all this stuff. And he's just like, so much worse that this is when veils came in, like the um, the uh, uh, hijab and all hijab, of that came yeah. into place in it's, Iran. Like, they weren't even fucking wearing it before then. And what do we yeah. know? Like, if somebody asks any American about that, I guarantee you they wouldn't know that fucking story. Like, well, that, sure. up until that point, like, they weren't required to wear that. And then, like, all their Ugh. rules changed and their whole, their whole fucking life changed yeah. for the worse after a revolution, which was supposed to make it better. Well, it's... I totally empathize with all of this. Sorry, also, this is I me am, speaking as the daughter of the father who got yeah. killed because he was opposing the revolution. See, that's, that's, the, that's the perspective you've been... That's that the perspective I'm given now. So now I'm very yeah. passionate about it, but I didn't get any of that from a fucking textbook, that's for sure. Totally, uh, which that has engaged you, and now you know all these things about the Iranian revolution. Um, and then, you know, it, the reality is very complicated because you wouldn't have been able to get that many people to actually rise up and overthrow a government that they that everyone disagreed with. Um, there was a good portion of the population that was still more fundamentalist Islamic and wanted a more traditional society to come back. And the Shah 
that whole situation is questionable as well because he was actually kind of placed there by Western powers. Uh, yeah, uh, don't even get me before. started on the U.S.'s, <laughs> the U.S.'s and the England's part in all of this. It's like yeah. we, you know, it's always bothered me. We've done me. this. We've done, yeah, we we've do done it this. all so the many. time. We we fucking, like somebody put it well, I forget, I think it was in, oh, I immediately, I can't remember if I told you this, after I finished that book, I was looking at, so Sundays are my days for graphic novel reading. And mm. I happened to finish this book this past Sunday. And then I was looking through my graphic novels and realized I had Persepolis. And I was like, wait a oh. second. I hadn't oh. read that for a long time. And then I picked it up. I was like, this is also about the Iranian yeah. revolution. So I picked it up and reread it immediately. And it was fascinating uh, rereading that with all mm. this context. I was like, wow, I have no recollection of mm reading this in high school, like I'm shocked that I even said I completed this book because I, none of it stuck. Yeah. Um, so that, that sensation of, yeah. of, of creating correlations, like correlating previously <sighs> unrelated thoughts, concepts, yes, ideas, yes. and the moment when they collide and suddenly it all ties together. That's mm -hmm. the most amazing thing. If I could yeah. just m create more things like that that cr that make that happen for people and I can also make that happen for myself because I love it, that's right. learning. Uh, Ugh, that's the best thing in the world. I that's, love it. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> that's why we're ending Reality Quest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> So to end it out then, because I'll stop talking about. <laughs> no, also, that's an I mispronounced. I mispronounced. It's not. It's like Khomeini. the Khomeini. 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 Yeah. Um, I said Khomeini like a fucking Ahmadinejad Khomeini, and I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing it that well either. I've just learned um, a little bit yeah. better. But by the way, this book I'm talking about is called Disoriental. Took me half the book to get into it, I'll be honest. But uh, <sighs> I love any book that teaches me anything. And I would say it's super fucking worth it. And then read Persepolis afterwards. Mm. And then and then just go on a fucking click hole about all of this <laughs> stuff. Because I've barely even started. We um, love click holes. Then you'll that suddenly start <laughs> like that. Yeah. Then I, like you're, you find yourself like at midnight on, you know, it's Sunday just being like Saddam Hussein. Like just Google that name and be like, where do I start? Uh... <laughs> There was actually, I will say one more thing, which cracks me up from, Pers uh, no, it wasn't Persepolis. It's it was the, uh, Disor Disoriental, Disoriental, where she talks about, um, so the other interesting fact is that this character turns out that she's a lesbian and, mm. well, oh, fuck, I just, I feel like that was giving something away. Whatever. It makes it more interesting. Mm. Um, and also it was probably more obvious and I was like really dumb to that fact for a while. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the reason that's more interesting than maybe... Um, like it might be here is obviously that it's like punishable by death or at least was, I don't know if it still is there. Um, and, uh, and, and, and just like all of, I mean, sorry, I'm like stumbling over my words now because suddenly I feel like self-conscious about describing. What are, what are you, I'm like, it's probably describing? the same. Anyways, blah, blah, blah. So she's, <laughs> so the reason it matters is like, she's, um, she's meeting her girlfriend. I honestly, I didn't need to go into the fact that she was a lesbian. Now that I think of it, <laughs> you called it out. <laughs> well, the reason I call it out is because it is actually fat. It's like very meaningful in this story in terms of her relationship with her family and her yeah, like so fear and her like disobedience with her family and how she ends up like escaping a as a teenager. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, all that to fucking say, sorry, everyone, I suck. Um, that 
<laughs> we don't do that anymore. Starting right? to dwindle. <laughs> yeah. Um, that uh, she was meeting her girlfriend's parents and they were like, oh, like, you know, asking her all these questions. And they're like, well, uh, what is it like? You know, what do you think of Saddam Hussein? And she was like, I wouldn't know because I'm from Iran. And <laughs> Just the only time in the book, like it's a very intense book. The only oh, time wow. I fucking laughed out loud. I'm like, that is <laughs> classic. Oh. oh God, cracks me up. Anyways, um, where were we? Okay, so what are you gonna do next, Jay? Post post reality quest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. One. I think that's the whole point. I think the the whole reason that we're we're finishing after this, uh, or at least we're closing out this season, and you know we're not sure if we're gonna do another one. Um, we're just leaving that open because me personally, and we both talked on this so many times, I think we need space from it to reassess and explore the next things. Yeah, need totally. Space. Time and space. Time and space. Space and time from Reality <laughs> Quest. <laughs> and we're starting a band. Yes, that's um, going to be the next deal. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. And I also feel like I'm totally leaning into the space and time and quiet of quarantine. Like I yeah. feel fortunate that I can uh, without, you know, being worried about uh, certain things that I know a lot of people, whether it's health or just like money or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, like so some under- people are having to take space and time that they never wanted. <laughs> For sure. Uh, but I have felt like it's crazy actually how much we don't take space and time and how much quiet we don't give ourselves until it's forced upon us. And now I'm really feeling like I just want more of it to think through life and a lot of these things. It's incredibly valuable. All the, the, the introverts of the world, I think are feeling very like, Yeah, dude, I know Mike's (laughs) like Mike's living his best life here because he's, He's an introvert and like I make him do stuff like just go out or have people over or whatever all the time. And and, like now I feel like life after quarantine is going to be a whole fucking thing because it's going to be like (laughs) we can't go back to what we once were. Like he's gotten a dose of what life could be like where we weren't always (laughs) being extroverts. And so have I. And so now I don't know what life is going to look like. It's also kind of weird not having... Yeah, like, it's weird let, not having. You can, you can get distracted by by feeling like you need to always have other people around and always fill your time with social activity. Yeah, you know um, that brings up a question. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wait, you mean another three hour conversation? Yeah, here we go. Um, <laughs> no, it's just like I I find that I have trouble just being like I need space. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. I don't want to hang out tonight. I don't want to talk on the phone. I don't want, like, I always have to feel like I have an excuse, meaning like... um, Like it's justified uh, somehow. Yeah, like it's justified. Like uh, somebody asked me to do a video call this week and I'm just like, oh God, like another one. I can't fucking stand it. And I feel like... on on Zoom now. (laughs) Yeah, and it's just like, all I want to do is be like, you know what? No, actually what I'd rather do is literally anything else. I'd actually rather sit on my couch and stare into space and <laughs> into the void <laughs> than, than stare at your face on a call for but another it, minute. But it feels like everyone's everyone makes that joke of like, oh yeah, of course I can because I have nothing else to do right now. And it's like, I have everything else to do. I just want to read or just like give myself open time. And even yeah. this week in particular, I yep. happen to have something going on every single night. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. God damn, how did quarantine turn into the same <laughs> fucking thing that life used to be? And yeah. why can't, why do I always need an excuse? Why can't I just like, what is the word or the phrase I used? They just be like fucking no no 
Don't fill nope. your time. Give yourself space. Yeah. But like, how do I say that to someone? It's like, just, no, I can't. I guess I just say, no, I can't make it. No, I, I've actually, I've been trying to intentionally get better at this the last year or so. Um, and I, it's literally just come down to, I, I'm just straightforward about it. I'm like, yeah, I, I need to take some time for myself. I yeah. don't feel like being social right now. So I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you. I think we need a yeah. phrase for this, though. It's like we need a little like, so it doesn't sound dramatic. You don't want to say like, I need space because that person's going to be like, right. Whoa, and you're like, dude. are we breaking up? Yeah. Are, we, are we having a friend breakup? <laughs> <laughs> are we done? Is this the end? <laughs> you don't like me anymore. <laughs> it's like, what you need to, it's like there needs to be the just like a me time. Like, yeah. I think what it's going to turn into is it's going to be called something like quarantine time. Like, I need to quarantine myself. I need some quarantine. <laughs> I just got so excited. <laughs> quarantine. That's yep. what I'm going to call I'm gonna it. Take some quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Thanks, Jay, Heather. I am. I'm excited for this space that we need from each other. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, Thanks for I, giving me the advice. Now I need to tell you that I need space. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so uh, this has been really fun with you. And it's crazy to think that Jay and I just met like a year ago or like a little over. I sorry. It, it's time yeah. is. Uh, time is weird. It's been like a year and a half, but it hasn't been yeah. that long. Yeah. Really. You wouldn't but, think so based on all of these conversations. Yeah. This has been a fun adventure, though, and I'm excited to see what we do next. And who knows? Like you said, maybe we'll be back someday. It's kind of cool that we have this. So now we can just like decide, be like, you know what? I want to talk about this subject. We can just pop on and be like, what's up? <laughs> I can do it again. We're, We're back. back for one. <laughs> back for omnibus. Uh, or, uh, <laughs> or thoughts on thoughts or yeah. ramble pie. I think that was ramble pie. Word. Ramble pie, by the way, I mentioned that at the beginning and that was Jay and I's. That's our alter ego podcast. Um <laughs> That's when we get to just like talk about literally anything. And you might ask, like, isn't that what you do anyways? But we have tried to create <laughs> that's some us, sense that's of us, structure. That's us not trying to justify it. That's us just doing it in an imaginary world. Yeah. Ramble yeah. Pie. So if we ever so, make Ramble Pie, you know what to expect. Right. That name was born <laughs> off of us uh, listening to ourselves, having to edit the podcast and listening to ourselves ramble and mm -hmm. fill space with words and just being like, <laughs> we would describe it to each other as, oh, I or you went into a ramble pie. Mm, so you were just, you were just spewing ramble pie there. Yeah. So like, I feel um, like our, yeah. ours, <laughs> our, um, what our line subline or whatever would be ramble pie podcast, fill space with words. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. We Coming soon, that. along with our band. <laughs> I feel like we should so make some sort of promise that, like, whatever we do, uh, if we ever come back on the podcast, uh, we should have a song to share. We should. Like, we should. We should. We should do something that actually has words this time or the next time, if there is one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a good commitment, you know? Yeah. In a hypothetical world where that happens. In a hypothetical world. Yeah. <laughs> a hypothetical commitment. <laughs> But just look for our band. What was our band name again? I already forget. Mm, Shit. I have no idea. We'll have to review <laughs> the recording later. Oh, well, shit. I think we're just Anyways. buying time with everybody now. So all right. Well, you guys, I know. I don't it's like when I'm finishing a book and I don't want it to end. I let the yeah. last few pages just like I just take three months to read them. Um don't <laughs> well, worry, I won't stay on here for three months. Um what what we can do is we can still point to where these things are. So 
if you made it this far in the podcast. Ooh. You made it all the way to the end. Wait, are we going to do our outro? Yeah. Our, I, I figured this would be the outro. We got to give space for the music. Oh, okay. Here we go. Outro, cue outro music. <laughs> one, two, three. Welcome back Welcome to Reality Quest. Ah. So glad that you right. followed along with <laughs> us on that journey. <laughs> Honestly, I have nothing to say. Um, yep. So uh, thanks, you guys, for listening to us and for supporting us so far. Um, again, please share feedback, thoughts with us. Uh, I don't think we've thoughts still received... Puffs. Yeah. <laughs> emails instagram we love to hear it and um we'll be around even if we're not recording so not you dead. guys know where to find us <laughs> we're still, we'll still be kicking and yeah uh, i don't know keep an eye out for whatever we decide to do next yeah because who knows what that will be yeah we need some time but and um like we said there'll be a bonus episode available for more oh, yeah. thoughts on thoughts around VR uh porn and and intimacy and all that jazz. That um, is a long juicy conversation too. Yes. So juicy is an interesting to way to juicy. describe it. <laughs> that was a I don't juicy know. conversation. <laughs> it was very moist. Oh god. <laughs> That's how we're going to end this. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it. Well, God. All right, you guys. There's right. no easy way to say goodbye. So I guess this is it. We love you. So now, everybody. And Jay, thanks. this has been super fun. It totally has. All thanks right. for listening, everybody. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>